Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's DC. N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com slash tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. everyone, my name is Kelly Yanes, and I am hosting the DC Comics News Podcast, episode 30. I'm here today with Steve, Seth, and Brad. Say hello, guys. Hello. Hello, guys. <laughs> <laughs> hello. All right, we're going to be covering um, some of the interesting stories relating to DC that have come out in the past week. Um, some disappointing news, but also some really interesting new developments on projects that were already in progress. Um, so let's start off with the movie news. Um, the Joker director, Todd Phillips, has released a couple of new images for the movie. Um, I know a lot of people are really excited to see what exactly Joaquin Phoenix does with this movie. Um, how, do, how do you feel about it, Steve? It's the Joker, and he's just looking scarier and scarier with every little snippet they release. And I'm just so glad that um, stuff's coming out for this film from the source. And it's not just our favourite thing in the world, Kelly, of no use. <laughs> um, so it's just getting me excited because I know this guy can act. I know he can do scary. I know he can do intense and if all these little snippets about him being Thomas Swain's illegitimate son and whatever else are happening, then please, Mr. Phillips, keep sending us more stuff to keep us excited until the film comes out. I'm really, really happy with that. Uh, what about you, So Solid, Seth? <laughs> oh, I can only smile when I hear that kind of name. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really, I really like the tone. I really enjoyed that this sort of reminded me about all of the elements of the movie that had this similar sort of feeling and atmosphere to them. And I really love seeing it captured in what seems like a very, of course, creepy, as is pointed out. But also it feels like, I mean, I, I've heard this word used so much, I, I cringe sometimes when I find myself about to, but poignant. It seems very thoughtful, very reflective, very... Um, Oh, God, the only other word that maybe comes to mind is preparatory or signatory. Like in those moments, either he's processing or he's making a decision or he's in the steps because I felt like there was a, an understanding. And often when a character looks in the mirror in that way, in that way that they're weighing themselves or they're looking, you know, uh, into the deep to see what looks back, um, I, I feel that there's a lot that has to be processed and that when you're willing to look that deep, there's a lot that's being um, unearthed in that process. Like the willingness to do that feels like there's there's something really being set up here. And there's also like sort of that pause, that 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 moment before the storm breaks when you sort of feel that shift in the weather and that sort of tension on your skin. Um, so I, I really just enjoyed that that 
that moment could be captured in a still and yet feel like it reminded me of all of those moments that I experienced and enjoyed in the trailer. Brad, how about yourself, my friend? You know, uh, what I like about this image is that so far, even in the trailer and what we've seen before, it you're seeing a guy about to break or on his way to breaking. This picture, to me, looks like somebody who has broke. This is, to me, one of the darker images that I've seen from the movie. Um, this is like he is the Joker. What we've seen before is like he's becoming the Joker. And that's what kind of struck me about this image. And I like that, you know, I like the looking into the abyss and having the abyss look back moment that's that's happening. Nice. Uh, and, you know, every every bit more uh, info that leaks or images that we see just makes me more excited. At the end of the day, I just cannot wait to see this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It looks really well done. And I, I don't want to jinx it. And I'm so glad we're getting... I mean, like, like Steve was saying, actual news instead of, you know, kind of it might be this or it might be that. We're seeing really solid images that show us actually what the movie is hopefully going to be about. So it looks like it's a smarter DC movie. I'm hoping. And more grown up, isn't it? It just feels more grown up, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And which is, it, it'll be a relief for them to have focused on you know, writing a, a story that's true to the character as opposed to something that is just like, wow, it's the Joker in a solo movie. It seems like they're actually trying to break new ground with the Joker. So I'm, I'm excited to see it. And I, I like what you're both saying, because it makes me think that it feels like it's going to be um, a lot about in creating the Joker, about getting inside of that that sort of mind, you know, what is the yeah. cerebral process for somebody like the Joker? What was the sort of understanding from all these events that we're going to witness and that this story is going to tell us that is, is part of like shaping it, you know, and you see that like Brad mentioned, which I think is really good. That idea of you're seeing him here in this moment is broken. Well, that's when a character is then molded in some new way. Um, Cause you put them back together or you reshape the mold and in the doing so, what you come out with is is what we all have come to know and kind of fear. And uh, this idea about seeing that molding process occur, especially after maybe one form of breaking, maybe more than one form, and all those different components that lead to that, that shaping of this Joker character, I think that's a really uh, cool idea you guys are mentioning as well. How many bad days lead up to this one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. one bad day. <laughs> let's, I mean, let's hope that the day it actually comes out is not a bad day for, for any of us going to see it. Well, and, it's, um, it's during New York Comic Con, so that's very for me. That's going to be very doubtful. That it'll be a bad day. True. <laughs> I love that. I love that it's coming out on that weekend because it's going to make it's going to make the whole experience even that much more fun. That's true. I didn't I didn't realize that. That is actually yeah. Oh, that'll be great. As long, I hopefully wow. it's a and it doesn't just dampen the whole weekend. <laughs> but that that'll be fantastic. And we have. Oh, that's a great a, note. You could actually call that comedic timing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and that's, now that's we're that we're comedic timing. <laughs> I'm just curious, too. You just mentioned something that really kind of stuck with me, Kelly, when you said how many days add up, how many bad days add up to this. Do you guys remember that 90s movie called Falling Down 
with uh, Michael Douglas. Oh, yeah. Anyone? Yeah. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> and in many ways, I feel like this is going to be like that similar sort of like, oh, my God, how many terrible things can happen? But instead of the ending that occurs with that movie, instead, you've got this other occurrence. And as soon as you said how many bad moments or days can lead up to this, I was like, oh, wow, Kelly. Nice. <laughs> Falling down, like just appeared in my head. And, and all I saw was this one guy having continually bad moments all in one day. And you flipped it around with the idea of continual bad days leading up to, you know, this one character. Really cool idea. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. And we have um, another character who is seems to be having a pretty good day. Uh, Zachary Levi, who starred in Shazam, is excited for Shazam 2, which we will supposedly see start filming in the summer of 2020. Um, so... Personally, I was never a big Shazam fan, but what this movie's doing and what it's done seems to be really positive for DC's image as a whole. So are, are you guys excited to see Shazam too? Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, again, I, I was a bit worried about the, the first film because not such a well-known character outside of comics fandom, but um, they just did a great job with it. They made a fantastic family movie, a movie you can take anyone to see, and like 90 minutes, two hours of fun. It was a film I thoroughly enjoyed. And uh, I, when I saw the initial dates, I thought, well, hang on, that's around about the same time that Rock was saying they were going to start filming Black Adam. And, and this article confirms that too. So back-to-back filming crossover between the two characters it's it's really exciting we're going to see um both aspects of uh, the magic word come to life on the big screen at more or less similar times or maybe they'd even follow on or, or, or blend into each other that's got me really happy and excited too so um yeah shazam me away shazam me away Seth, <laughs> what did you think about all that Oh, Shazam Me Away has been one of my childhood dreams. Um, I was really hopeful when this movie came out because for me, Shazam, when I first heard of the character, one, he was like Superman, you know, in so many ways with that, just that great chin and the positive hands on the hip stance and that sort of just like, you know, perfectly quaffed hair. And I mean, it was like the spit curl between those two. I was always like, oh, wow, this guy just looks so cool. And then when I finally was seeing, you know, saw the like first kind of visual representations, which for me, I believe it had to do with the cartoon show. And I just remember, like, as soon as I saw it, I thought to myself, that's how you do it. You find that magic word. And even if you're a kid, you can be a superhero. It was that tangible for me. And so I had some of the same reservations that Steve, uh, you know, mentioned as well. And then I saw the first trailer. And really what I was saying before the movie came out, what really nailed it for me is when Zachary Levi as Shazam turns to his friend and goes, I need your help. I don't know how to do this superhero thing. And I thought to myself, all right, you can nail this yeah. movie if you follow through on that promise. Right. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. Um, and, and anybody else who's agreeing verbally or, or you know, nodding your head along, because I think <laughs> sometimes when we talk over each other, it's just like, <sighs> but, uh, you know, there was that feeling for me of like, OK, you guys have really hit the, the nail on the head. You've you've found that touchstone. If you build the rest of this movie around the idea of how does a kid who doesn't really have a, a, a role model or a series of values or ideals that they're raised with 
figure out how to live up to that i mean terrible example that superheroes eventually become that sort of like infallibility and well you first you have to be fallible you have to make mistakes but you also need to rely on someone who you know has that good sort of moral center and i really felt that built the foundation of this film um going to what has been mentioned and steve i thought you brought up nicely kelly as well the idea of the timing this just harkens me back to when they were talking about the sequels to uh matrix they mentioned that the second one would have a cliffhanger and the third one would have to come within the year or within a short amount of time because they said simply people won't wait that, that long and i love the idea for me that this timing sets up this great sort of cliffhanger with black adam that could be followed up with the sequel to Shazam and tying that timing together could really just build the anticipation um, and provide a, a quicker sort of relief for everybody than we've experienced maybe in some other film companies productions when it was like, I got to wait a year for this. I got to wait a year <laughs> to find out what ha- I got to wait a year. Yeah. <laughs> so I really like the idea that the timing's not doing that to us, but you know, Brad, I'm sure you have a couple of thoughts you'd love to add in yeah, here as well. Y- y- you know, Seth, you just about went into my head and grabbed exactly what I was going to say as far as the timing. Like, I was just thinking, you you know, I don't want to have to wait a year. I think that it would be really cool and really gutsy if they say, okay, here is Shazam 2, comes out in March, and then October or November, there's Black Adam. And you wouldn't have to wait that long. And it could be like, they could almost make it feel kind of like, you know, just one big movie. Yeah, kind of, you know, you know, Infinity War Endgame kind of thing, you know, just then, you know, if, you know, The Rock should bring butts in seats, so they don't necessarily have to worry so much about <laughs> that. I mean, it's going to make some money, so I think that that would be, that would be so cool. As a fan, I would absolutely love that. We could have, like, one in the spring or and one in the fall. I promise, Brad, I saw nothing inappropriate and generally i don't go into your mind i just sort of hang out <laughs> on the periphery but yeah and sort of but yeah, it, man, get your tone you nailed it with what i was going to say about the whole love the idea that we you have a hive people. mind yeah <laughs> thank you steve i was gonna say you know this collective conscious maybe it's more <laughs> conscious than unconscious but it's definitely there and it's collective <laughs> I mean, you guys are equally grateful that The Rock stayed on for 10 years. Like, that is a long time to have faith in a character. Oh, yeah. And when that happens, you generally get a better movie. Because I've said this before on this podcast, that when you have a star that absolutely loves the character so much, it shows. And that's the same way with actually with Zach Levi and Shazam. He loved the character. He loved playing it. And it really showed. Yeah. And I think that's agreed. Well, and I also liked hearing not too long ago when we were having one of the stories about how well uh, Shazam was doing in the box office. One of the things that was mentioned was also the follow up story about Black Adam, but how Dwayne Johnson's production company had been one of the production companies involved with the making of Shazam. So he had a financial investment early on. I feel like that also was that sort of. introduction that said to me hey you're you're in this you know what i mean there's a part of you that's yeah. saying i'm i'm putting more than just oh I'll, I'll be there when it's time to put on the suit i'm putting my company involved i've got a stake in this i'm going to be there from the ground up that that says a lot to me about commitment as well and also a desire to get it right 
you know, I can only imagine yeah, exactly. that if you get the right people in the room, whether it's That's the actors, the directors, and the writing team, and they're all talking, and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, kind of like we do on here sometimes, um, <laughs> <laughs> that those are those moments when you're just like, yeah, okay, we are understanding each other. We're all connecting in the same way we want to. Now that we've got that, let's hold each other honest to it and, and be as true to that same thing we say we want. And that's what I really have, have been getting the feeling from all these stories we hear about how long the time has been going and who's been involved and how much time they've invested. That kind of investment always tells me that someone's really looking at what the purpose is and what the long-term goal is. And, and that just seems to be evident in all of these stories. Yeah, it's very true. And it's because we see it also in uh, Jason Momoa with Aquaman and Gail Gadot with Wonder Woman. I think the best DC movies seem to be coming out of actors who are sincerely invested in the character. And we have the same thing in our next story with Birds of Prey, where we have um, Margot Robbie doing a wonderful job as Harley Quinn. And also she seems very into the movie. And so we just have gotten their, um, their first official poster, which is very bare bones, but it definitely has some of the edge that, uh, you know, I think Margot Robbie's bringing to the character. What did, Steve, what did you think of the poster? It's like we've just been saying that the fact that she's invested and again, her production company is involved in the making of the movie and that poster, it's clever. It's like we saw on the director's chairs uh, from the behind the scenes shots we've been receiving over the last few weeks and months where every character even though you don't see their faces is there on that poster the the crossbow arrows and and the 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 little harley quinn diamonds and everything else every character's there in spirit and um when the cast and the production team are that enthusiastic about a film it's, it's contagious we feel it too so i'm getting happier and happier and more excited with every new release that DC are making because back in the day it was all doom and gloom and despondency and people shooting the movies down even before they released but thanks to Aquaman and thanks to Shazam there's a lot more positivity from fandom in general even the former naysayers about the DC films and if Joker nails it too with a much darker aspect that'll make me happy because I, I personally like the darker feel of the dc movie the darker tone i wanted different kinds of comic book movies not everything the same popcorn glitz and glamour happy happy joy joy um even though that might be me <laughs> to a scene how everyone sees me but i do like a little bit of meat on my bones as well so um yeah i'm i'm, I'm looking forward to it immensely um uncle seth what do you think? I am always proud when my nieces and nephews are so bright and insightful. And Stephen, you make me make me proud. And for you to call <laughs> me you. uncle, uncle is very. <laughs> I my initial thought was, wow, what a great way to just with this logo and this poster set up a lot of the expectations that we're going to have going in even before we get a chance to see the first trailer one because i think the symbology of uh or the symbolism however you want to call it of using all of these different little pieces throughout the birds of prey the diamond the hammer the bat 
all of those things, I love the way that they feel structured and organized. And then on top of it, you've got this splash of, so that's what the plan was. Now here's what actually happens. And it ends up being the fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. Um, I also love that there's the, the two X'd out, crossed out eyes and the grim line for the face over the DC logo in the bottom right corner yes. there. That, that mm-hmm. just sort of like, you know, uh-oh, we just went and killed the plan. And it's, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm serious. As soon as I see this, I think to myself, okay, you've got these birds of prey who whatever point along we're seeing them in their collective mission have a goal. And then Harley comes in, stirs it all up. And through it, you get this chance where you realize for them, it's like, well, we have this plan we want to do. Guess what happens when the mission goes a different direction and you realize it's not about, you know, accomplishing that long-term plan all the time. Sometimes it's about stopping and it's about helping somebody. And the reasons are not about what can they do for us as a member of the team, but what can we do for this person? And I feel like this is going to be one of those stories where it's going to have a lot of that fun, crazy that I know that um, I'm always going to mispronounce her name. So I just hope it's Margot Robbie. Uh, <laughs> she's embraced this character. She showed That's it one in, of the easy ones. I know, but I'm, I'm so bad. I mean, so bad. <laughs> I know because sometimes Kelly or Brad will be like, oh, I didn't know you pronounced it that way. And I'm like, oh, no, I just butchered it. You don't pronounce it that way. Please, God, nobody else say that's the way you pronounce it. I'm just going to be like a terrible influencer, you know, on top of being an influencer. God help me. Um, but the idea here that, you know, there's a plan and then Harley's character comes in and through her chaos, you sort of are reminded like, you know, it's like if you get a an introduction to the family, whether it's a person or a pet and you're just like why is all this chaos happening when my life seems so orderly like everything that i was working towards and you realize hey wait a minute every once in a while you have to stop for these things because the thing you're fighting for is this thing that's causing the chaos in your life and if you really say you're fighting for something well prove it prove it with the most challenging case there might be i can't think of anybody more challenging than harley quinn brad what are your <laughs> thoughts my friend uh, yeah, I think the poster is kind of cool. It's without saying too much, it's edgy and kind of punk rock. Uh, you know, looking at this, I was like, man, I can't wait for the trailer. And I was all these cool songs that they could use in the trailer started popping to my head. Um, I love <laughs> how they play with with the with the fonts, and it all you know the. The emancipation war kind of jumps out at me because when I think of Harley Quinn and being emancipated, I think of what is the main thing that holds her down, and it's the Joker. And there's going to be no Joker in this movie, so what's that, what's that emancipation angle going to be? I'm curious about. But well, yeah, there have I, been some behind the scenes shots of the Joker throwing her stuff out of his bedroom window. Do you see him? So, oh, so it, you see, because I thought they yeah. had, like given up on the idea of of Jared Leto and the Joker and just like letting that. Like, I don't think it's there. Jared Leto. Yeah. It just looks like him, but it's yeah. definitely the Joker throwing stuff out of a window and her catching it. Oh, ah, okay. <laughs> nice. Because the only behind the scenes footage I've seen so far is that little um, Instagram, Twitter video that was just a just a few seconds long so that's that's interesting 
I'm gonna have to go and track that down. Yeah, another other joke. <laughs> you guys as well. It'll be exciting to see what they do with his character in this movie, especially if you know if we compare it to what we're seeing in the Joker movie versus this one. I'm sure we're going to get two completely different iterations of the same character. I'm excited to see how that happens. Yeah. Yeah. And in other things, we can only maybe be excited for um, Ray Fisher, the actor who played Cyborg in Justice League, recently talked about, um, you know, the vague possibility of a future Cyborg solo film. And um, he seems to actually have some really great ideas and a really solid understanding of the character. Um, you know, but unfortunately, there are, as far as everybody knows, no current plans to actually make a Cyborg solo film. Um, Steve, how do you feel about it? I like the way that a lot of what we've been talking about today flows into each other. Because, again, I feel really bad for this guy because, honestly, I did enjoy his portrayal in the Justice League film. I think he gave it a lot of heart. He gave it a lot of emotion, a lot of depth. And like we said, he's invested in this character. The ideas he's having, the things he's saying shows that he cares about Victor Stone. He cares about Cyborg and he wants the character to grow and develop. And I think that it'd be a crying shame if he didn't. Um, again, one of my favorite characters growing up, I'm showing my age again. And I, I went from the original Titans and Aqualad and Wonder Girl and whatever else to Marv Wolfman and George Perry's new Teen Titans. And I, I love these characters passionately i adore them and i think he deserves a chance and with extra focus on the other cyborg as we've got um so many jokers the other cyborg from doom <laughs> patrol and his portrayal give ray fisher a chance um i would love to see the ideas and his passion brought, brought to life i think he, the character deserves it and so does the actor um what about you seth do you, you want to see more cyborg booyah without question especially after seeing the great exploration that they did with the character in doom patrol i really feel like that was the first opportunity to start showing so much of what they could only hint at in uh, justice league and while those were some great hints and provided some insight seeing just how deeply these things can affect him and also sort of be a, a crucial part of that that i guess it's a i guess the word schism comes to mind that's going on mm-hmm. with a person who's basically two different pieces that have been merged together they don't fit perfectly and the mechanical side the technology side and the human side it, it feels like they're constantly at war with themselves and a lot of it feels like it's as much physical as it is emotional and if that's something that could be explored in a way that continues what we've already seen in doom patrol it would be a really valuable experience because in many ways cyborg gives us that opportunity that not as many characters in the dc universe do not everyone was born royalty or came from another planet but we have all either struggled ourselves or known others who struggled to gain the attention satisfaction of a parent figure whether it's our actual parents or a coach or a teacher or someone else we look up to. And that's so much about who Cyborg is. So referencing the idea of the need to uh, talk about repairing the relationship with the father would be such a great place to also explore 
what's wrong and just what it means to actually try and repair that, but also how through that these other elements could be explored. I think there's a lot of value there because you could create a great character that can connect with audiences, much like we've seen them do so well most recently with Shazam. Brad, what's your thoughts, my friend? Yeah, I think that there is definitely a lot of ground they could cover. And, uh, you know, in as much as it would be very emotional and deep to see that uh, relationship explored between him and his father, I mean, really just the action movie fan in me just really loves the idea of a cyborg that's been hacked and he's trying to fix the hack because that was one of the ideas that he put forth. And I thought, man, that would be that would be a cool story. And you're talking about the man versus machine. He would really have to rely on his own wits beyond his uh, cyborg enhancements to try to figure it out and overcome it. So I really like that idea for yeah. uh, for a cyborg movie. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great and, idea. Yeah, and I mean, I actually hadn't really, because when I think of Cyborg or when I think of the, the character of Victor Stone, I mostly focus on his relationship with his father, but that's the internal war inside himself is a whole other level, but actually it would make a fantastic movie for them to combine both. Um, yeah, Brad, that's a really, really good point. Um, I mean, and hopefully I would assume that if he's willing to actually get up there and kind of promote DC property that they would still consider him if they should do this down the line. Um, you know, but it, it's hard to say at this point. It's hard to see where exactly the DCEU or whatever, you know, kind of disconnected, more individual version of it we're going to get is going in the future. Um, but yeah, no, I'm definitely excited to see if they ever make a cyborg film. It would be great to have... <laughs> It, that he could maybe work with somebody, get a script together that was so good <laughs> and <laughs> he is so good that they just couldn't say no. Like, it doesn't matter that like, people may not like That's know who Cyborg is, but this idea is just too good. It's going to be huge. we got to make this. And that would just be, that would be yeah, good yeah. to see. Yeah. Well, it didn't go as well for Ezra Miller when he tried to do that with the flash. Right. Yeah. That was, that was disappointing. I mean, yeah. I think he was going to hit the wrong tone, but it was really nice to see him try. Yeah. And that's probably where the challenge is. Like, you know, how do you how do you find that perfect blend? There's been those one or two projects. And for some of those, look at the investment time we were just talking about uh, with the Shazam properties. I mean, that that wasn't something that happened overnight. And um, granted, it's been a little while for Cyborg, but who knows how long the journey would have to be to accomplish that. And I would really like to see it happen. I'm just not sure what the magic combination would have to be for this movie that we've seen work so well with others. Like what's that, you know, what's that missing piece? What's that, that key element that once you can identify it, you can get those other people in the room and have them all say, Hey, this is what we're talking about. Right. And now you've got that, that thing that you're all trying to agree on or say you, you get, um, I think Brad, you've got a great one with the technology. Cause I love the idea of, of the hacking. I feel like that's something they could really work with. And, you know, use as part of that whole divide between man and machine. But I feel like there would have to be agreed, you know, as was mentioned too, something more than just that and the father son relationship. Like there, if there's one other thing we can tie it to, 
and I'm sure it's it's probably living somewhere in the the Titans' history, and we just gotta find it. Um, but if it could be done, that that would probably be that that other element that I would be looking for. Like, where's that thing where when they tell me this is what it's about, I go, oh, see, now you got it. Now you got your cyborg movie because you're talking about cyborg, not some guy who's like other movies. You know what I mean? Like, I know yeah. there's that one thing missing on it. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you can figure that out with a great writer and still forge ahead and be like, yo, we got a script. You can't say no. You really, really can't. We've already shared on the internet. They all said yes. What are you gonna do? Yeah. That would that would be really cool, you know. And we've seen some crowd stuff happen, but I don't know what that missing thing would be to, you know what I mean? Like make it the the, the guaranteed pitch. Yeah, like I keep getting re furious about how how poor Justice League was when clearly we have so many people who worked on it, so many actors who were actually really invested in seeing it succeed. I mean, it, it almost blows my mind that we got the story we got when they have good ideas. Yeah. Yeah, Studio but... interference. Yeah. How much we love it. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, let's hope, let's hope they learn their lesson and <laughs> after Justice League, but this isn't, we don't have to reboot the whole universe again because of a movie. Um, it's unlikely, but it's possible. Yeah, I think uh, I think if we can at least just, you know, move forward in a way that that addresses that you've got a shot. Right. Like, why not? There why has not to <laughs> How many times have we said it over the last few weeks? Just let the storytellers tell their story. Let the studios give them the cash and let the fans decide. And that studio interference is what reduced what could have been a a star Justice League movie to a B minus, if that. So just let the directors do their work, let the actors act and let their passion and, and their vitality and what they want to bring to screen come out because that's when the best movies happen. As you said, Kelly, with Aquaman and Shazam, that's how yeah. it happened. And one more yeah. thing I would add to that is ignore the trolls. Yes. <laughs> I mean, because that's just, yeah. you do not Please do not feed the trolls. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. You know, I'd even add just, you know, if you really say you trust these creative people you're giving it to, give it to them. And then I'm sorry, but shut up, get out of the way <laughs> and trust the people you're paying. They're professionals, right? OK, then treat them like professionals. Don't don't hover. Don't don't stick your finger in. You really going to do that to a, you know, a four star chef? I dare you to go in their kitchen and start talking about how they should do it right. Give them the same sort of professional (laughs) respect and and let it go. Because, you know, we we clearly recognize professionalism in certain areas. Let's do it all the way through. What Seth said. (laughs) That's my rant. (laughs) I swear I'm I'm done. (laughs) Well, and and with that that hive mind agreement, um, we're going to jump to a quick ad break from our sponsors. And then we'll be back with our TV news. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's DC. 
N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com slash tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. Alrighty, everybody. Welcome back. Um, I'm Kelly Gaines, and I'm here with Seth, Steve, and Brad for DC Comics News Podcast number 30. Um, hello. Hello, hello. Everybody hello. say hello. Hello, <laughs> hello, hello. hello. <laughs> and so we have um, some relatively exciting news for the Titans show. We're going to be seeing Superboy in the upcoming season. Um, and we have an actual picture of his costume, which is the most classic look I think I've ever seen them give a character on a TV show. Um, what, what do you think, Steve? How do you feel about the costume? <laughs> it's literally like they went into Young Justice, the animated series, ripped out a cell of uh, Superboy, got the bicycle pump, attached it to him, <laughs> pumped it up, and boom, there he is, fresh out of the cartoon. Um, it's the simplest costume in comics history, but still arguably at least in my opinion, one of my all-time favourites. Yeah, there's something to be said for the leather jacket look and the shaved head, but just that thing of a dude in a T-shirt, in his jeans, just adds to that sense of familiarity and thinking that, hey, you know, maybe I could be a hero too. And it's great. He, he looks the part, and if he's a decent actor and he can bring some gravitas and some vulnerability as well as the superpowers and super strength then great because he's ripped off the comics page and that's what we want as fans we just want to see the things we grew up loving and reading successfully translated onto screen and so far um we said it time and time again dc universe is batting 100 if season two of titans is as good as season one brilliant really really happy about that so when's your big red s coming out seth what do you think my big red s says that is a great t-shirt and also it's funny but when i was looking just for fun to to look at the old 90s costume where he was wearing it with the red pants and i just for a minute thought to myself what if for just a minute we saw him i don't know if anybody saw this in the the luke cage series they did where just for a minute in the first season he breaks out of prison and he's wearing something yeah. similar to that yellow yes. shirt with the chain yes. and this sort of yes. thing over the forehead and i thought to myself wouldn't it be great in this titans one to just have a little cheekiness where he pulls on sort of like a, a superman compression shirt or t-shirt and he's got on red pants from the place he broke out of and he's like nope look stupid and then i go ahead and see him pull on you know the black shirt and grab some blue sweatpants or something like that or or something along those lines just for fun just for anybody who remembers the old costume maybe like ah there it is the old standing costume. in front of a mirror pointing at it and saying mm, that's a bit 90s mm. right exactly just having something where he's like no no and with the haircut definitely no or something else you know whatever it is however they line it up but just that moment but otherwise you know i just love the fact that the kid in the costume the the actor that we see right here he's just got this great smile on his face like hey yep take a good look i'm that guy you know <laughs> and the moment you step out there you're you're opening yourself up to all of this criticism and we've seen how negative it can be for star wars and so many other properties i mean we saw it unfortunately with batwoman 
where there can be this really negative response from so many people who look at the picture and feel like they need to respond in a way, positive or negative. And I feel like the moment you're willing to say, hey, you know what? Come get me because I want this. I'm doing this. And here I am, world. And I really appreciate the sort of like, take a good look. I'm not flexing. I'm not trying to do anything more than say, here I am, ready to get to work. Yeah. Look look for me on the screen. Uh, I love that part of it. Brad, what do you think? Yeah. I, I don't want to be one of those negative Nancy's, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's one of the simplest and kind of iconic costumes. Brad, you're those... getting a little staticky. Sorry. Hello? No, sorry. Hello? You're okay. Uh, but but the, <laughs> those pants looked corny. Couldn't they give him like a nice pair of jeans? But maybe that was just the angle. I mean, it's not, it's not that hard to do, guys. Like, it's not the best shot or the best camera quality. Yeah. I see it, it looks like slacks, man. You're too young to be wearing slacks. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but I am glad that they went with that look of the character uh you know i, I do agree that you know there, there's something to be said for the leather jacket and the shaved head kind of thing but i think this was the right route to go down we have enough characters that are kind of darker and more haunted we can leave that superboy for another day so i do like the, the, the angle that they went with the costume even if I don't like the pants at the moment <laughs> is it safe to say then Brad you're not weld <laughs> or at most you are whelmed and, <laughs> and at most adequately whelmed just adequately cool. <laughs> by the way can we ask Josh if he can make that the end tag for this episode which is Brad saying can't they just get the boys some nice jeans I love that as soon as you said that I died like somewhere I heard my parents and grandparents being like well, Get him a pair of Zachary on, Levi's. Right. You know, if you can't put the boy on television, can't you put him in a nice pair of new jeans? Uh, <laughs> Brad, thank you for that. that that's exactly. Like, as soon as I heard that, I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> uh, thank you, Brad. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> he doesn't realize that a group of adults just spent five minutes making fun of his pants. Oh, come on. We, we, were, we were just appreciating the pants, not mocking. There was no, you know, there was no ill will. It was more of a, a humble and. <laughs> I think I'm seeing a cargo pocket on there, and I have some questions about that. Like, that's a whole other level. Hey, it could have been Zoomies. We're lucky, okay? <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> See, I, basically, everybody listening, please go get yourself a pair of nice jeans if you're going to continue listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're going to wear a Superman shirt with Twitter. <laughs> uh, that was awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> so, hands aside, <laughs> we, we've got a couple other characters that are also going to be making... Um, their debuts on some of the DC shows that are out right now. So we have supposedly for Stargirl some new faces, or not new faces, old characters with new faces that we haven't seen yet. Um, we might be seeing Solomon Grundy among possibly Artemis and Icicle, which Icicle Jr. I haven't, I don't think I've ever actually heard of that character. But what do you guys think? Who are you excited to see? 
Oh, all of them. And um, you must remember Icicle Jr. from Young Justice. Uh, he's the, the little ice guy who um, has a crush on Artemis when she was in disguise as uh, oh. it was the other girl. Um, yeah, yeah, Icicle Jr. His, his dad's the big crime lord, Icicle Senior. And he's like a Jack Frosty looking thinner, skinnier, slightly dweebier version of his dad. And he's got the ice powers. And obviously Solomon Grundy, massive history with the Justice Society. I mean, he's, he goes back years and years and years and years. So, um, again, I'm just showing my Geekipedia knowledge again. I'm, I'm so sorry, <laughs> Kelly. I'm just one of these ancient nerds that are spouting comics lore all over the place and tripping all over references and <laughs> catching myself and breaking my headphones and whatever else that that i do because i'm just so nerdy and proud <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um i'm loving it uh, bring me obscure characters i want to hug them all and make them tea Seth. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm just going to say right now that they should come because from what I hear, well, Steve's tea is spot on. So if you're really going to have a cuppa, have a cuppa with Steve. That's just what I should say. And also, Steve, thank you because this is my opportunity to say back to you something you're always reminding me, which is stop apologizing for saying wonderful things. <laughs> Everything you just shared from your Wikipedia knowledge, history and databanks just informed anyone else who wasn't aware of that and can go back now and watch Young Justice and look for Icicle Jr. and think about how that version of the character can be shown in Stargirl or how different or similar. So come on, my friend. Don't apologize for saying great things now. Love Certainly, you too, bro. Guys, <laughs> you know, my butt light. Exactly, exactly. Research, research, research. Uh, as, as far as my, my response to this, I love the idea of adding Artemis in high school junior because it also brings in that, that next generation. I mean, in many ways, Stargirl is following in the tradition of others who came before, if, if they're showing us that, that tie to the JSA history to the, the previous heroes. And in, in that doing so, that also means that the villains have got their iterations as well. High School Junior did a great job uh, in, in Young Justice. And I really think that getting a chance to see this version could be uh, a nice twist because something like, you know, the, the story of Icicle has changed a few times. They, they recently changed it um, when they were uh, showing Icicle as a character on Flash. And I think that the fact that we can, you know, see another version of not only that character's origin, but how that informs the relationship with High School Junior, I think is great. I think Artemis is one of those characters who always just sort of adds a level of tension to things. I think archers have that degree of precision that the moment you add someone like that, there's just a, a sort of mentality that goes with archers. And there's also this sort of wit. I think, I mean, come on, you're firing sharp things. You would have to imagine the wit has to be just as quick. Um, and I've loved the, the versions of Artemis that I've seen so far. So I just love that you're bringing out this this great history of, uh, oh, wait a minute. Did I just say Artemis is that? I'm adorable. I'm really adorable. <laughs> I just mixed up my characters and was thinking of a young arrow, and, and that was just really cute. Um, so thank you for everyone who just let me do that great babble. And Josh, if you want to cut that or if you want to make me just keep sounding silly, I already did a great job with uh, Thundar last week. And I'm just going to own this one. Well, Seth, Seth, 
you you just did it for me so let me defend you no <laughs> no you had me all a quiver and that was a fairly arrowing experience okay. thank you my friend thank you brad what were you going to add on because i feel like you were just going to follow up and hopefully make me sound or at least no, us well, sound better than i just did no i i i really like that, that you know when these obscure characters are brought to life and it seems like a wide variety so it makes me wonder why them what's going on in the story they thought those characters would be a good fit um so that's kind uh-huh. of that intrigues me like how how do icicle and solomon grundy uh artemis how does that all work together uh so i'll be kind of interested to see how that plays out and you know with swamp thing getting canceled kind of knocked the wind out of us for the past couple of weeks <laughs> so getting some positive dc universe streaming news is always is always a good thing so that kind of put a smile on my face yeah absolutely and i mean i'm excited so wait uh, back to Seth, back to what you were saying i i think part of the reason i'm excited to see artemis is to see how she and stargirl play off each other because if she does bring a lot of tension and stargirl is supposed to be this this big, positive, hopeful character, seeing them kind of play against each other, I think would be really, really interesting. Um, and also, you know, that's that's a really solid place to create tension to build a story there. Yeah, I think I just started getting my brain mixed up with like Greek mythology and it just started to twist up really good for me where I was like, wait a minute, do I even know the character I'm talking about right now? Because I'm seeing Artemis, but yet my brain's starting to do this thing where it, it just doubts me. You know, you, you've been talking for you've been talking for long enough that you're like, hey, man, do you know how long you've been talking? Do you even know what you're talking about anymore? Yeah. So now as I'm reading it over and hoping to myself, like, yeah, Artemis, Sportsmaster, right? Sportsmaster, Artemis, I know what I'm talking about. But for a minute, I really doubted myself and went, please, somebody just get me out of this hole. And I promise I will use a shovel and and find my way out. I really think, yeah, I, I think, Kelly, you're bringing up something perfect, which is Stargirl and Artemis. I mean, Stargirl, we were talking about when we first talked about this show, uh, optimism, that sort of can-do spirit, almost to an annoying quality. And what if you've got someone like Artemis who's not so optimistic, in fact, might fall on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, kind of needling, kind of like, hey, happy-go-lucky, hey, Miss Sunshine, how do you like this? What about if I trip you up? Because one of the things I love about Sportsmaster and characters like Deathstroke is that they love to say, you think you're doing good? made you stumble you sure you're paying attention let me check you another way and the way that they do that sort of makes that character who's usually so sure of themselves so steady suddenly stumble suddenly doubt and um i really think that anytime a character is trying to do something where either they're trying to prove themselves or trying to live up to somebody's example or look good to uh, the people either that they're trying to help or the people that they want to prove themselves to. Like you don't want to see anything that shows you stumbling and a character like Artemis can just sort of get in there and be like, Hey, are your shoes untied? You sure you don't want to look? You sure you don't want to look? I mean, I'm going to totally mess with you right now because they're probably untied. You're probably going to trip and miss whatever you're trying to do because 
oh, you looked. Gotcha. And the whole time you're thinking to yourself, like, what a jerk. They're that person who's like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. And you're like, why are you so annoying? You're like my sister or brother or other person who annoyed me. And uh, that's a great tension point to point to. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest. brother on fire tonight. (laughs) I genuinely just check for the shoes that I'm not wearing. So that is is great. And that's what I think. Spot on, Kelly. You're right. <laughs> Kelly's right. It, it, it's a great dynamic and a great contrast to characters. It's like, we, we saw it with um, Barry and Oliver in in uh, Arrow when they swapped bodies, and that whole thing of them, Mister Serious, Mister Vigilante, and then Mister Happy. Everything's going to be fine. Nice one, Seth. Nice one, Kelly. Yeah, that that's going to be a lovely thing to see. I think. Cool, yeah. Thank you very well. much. <laughs> And in other lovely things to see, we're getting a animated Catwoman TV show, or TV show, streaming show, technically. Um, and we have our first voice act, or a Harley Quinn show, my bad. So it is a Harley Quinn show with a Catwoman actor. So she's officially been cast. Um, and Seth, as far as pronouncing names wrong, I'm not sure I'm going to get this one right. <laughs> You're in good company. Remember, so, fortune favors the bold. <laughs> so we have, and I'm just going to take a shot in the, the dark here. Uh, Santa Lathan is going to be voicing Catwoman. She played Donna Tubbs in the Cleveland show, if anyone remembers that semi-train wreck. Um, but she's actually a very solid voice actor. So what do you guys think? I remember her from Blade, the original Blade movie. She plays uh, Blade's mother. So I know that the, the lady can act both physically on screen as an actress. And yes, she's a great uh, voice actor too. And if she can pull off a, that, that perfect blend of slightly scary, slightly sultry, slightly safe, slightly dangerous Catwoman voice, then it's going to be fantastic. We've already got a, a crazy... Harley with Kaylee Cuoco from Big Bang Theory. So another stellar genius, legendary comics character brought to screen and appearing in the Harley cartoon. Fantastic. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing a whole host of DC's greatest female characters. And that's one thing DC do better than any other comics companies. Their female characters are world-class and they are characters. They have personalities. They, they, they've got depth. They've got everything going for them. And picking a quality actress to play a legendary character is always going to be a, a plus in my book. Another reason to watch the show. Um Go DC Universe. What about you, Seth? Go DC Universe. I think that should be like a new pass along phrase. Um, <laughs> that's my rapping statement next to you. Go DC Universe and take it up. I should I, be on I, commission. I, and wear some really, nice jeans. You know, with that kind of commission, Steve will be stocked in all the nicest and the finest of jeans. <laughs> nice will wear the jeans. best. <laughs> yeah, we might even get some Jordash up in here, okay? Just to date myself. Are we, are we talking Jordash? Are we talking denim, or do you want to mess with my genetic code, you evil scientist, Kelly? <laughs> I say you have a pair of each for each day of the week. <laughs> Kelly, nice. what's your thought? <laughs> um. As far as this one for me, Steve, I remember, uh, oh boy, 
can I say the name? Can I even try Santa Lathan? I remember her <laughs> as the mother of Blade. That that cheer, her performance was riveting. Oh, that is not just they me. Said that. No, not just you. And also, she made me laugh. On uh, I didn't really see her. I don't remember her from the Cleveland show. I remember her from the Family Guy voicing when she would reappear on that. And I always thought she was just hilarious. Just great comedic timing. And I'm just really intrigued by the fact that I had not paid attention until reading this over about Kaylee Cuoco. So I'm really curious to see her as Harley uh, and to hear her, her voice acting and see that match up with the character on screen. But I feel like this addition just sort of uh, adds that level of, you know, I've mentioned it before, that gravitas, that seasoning that comes from great character actors, great voice actors, great actors who know yeah. exactly what they're intending when they agree to a role, how they want to approach it. And I feel like they make those choices, you know, like sometimes people will say, well, how are you going to play this kind of character? They've been played so many way. And the ones who are great, they sort of say, well, I've made a choice about how this character is going to be. And I'm going to make all of my decisions about how they act based on these choices. And I, I feel like she adds that, that level of complexity to it. And that's going to be something kind of fun because the thing about Catwoman that I love the most is that she's complex. You're never going to nail it down with just one word. And if you think you yeah. can do it with under 100, I'd like to see you put, you know, folding money up with that. So, uh, Brad, what do you think, my friend? Yeah, I agree. I think that it's it's good that they got somebody with a lot of voiceover work and experience because it's a different ball game, And, she, you know, and it's a pretty good voice cast that they have for the show they're kind of pulling out all the stops you know with kaylee cuoco you know lake bell uh, uh jb smooth wanda sykes just so many so many big names are a part of the show so it, it's just and and she's just a uh, another one of those big names to kind of add to the show and yeah she was great as blaze mom that's where i remembered her from too so yeah, it makes me more excited. And I would say that this fall and early 2020 are going to be a very good time to be a Harley Quinn fan. Between yeah, between weeks. this and Birds of Prey, if you're a Harley Quinn fan, you're gonna it's going to be a good few months. So yeah, yeah. It, uh, I think that this this show might blow us all away. Yeah, actually, I that just uh, reminded me. I'm actually very excited to see the one that they're doing a Harley Quinn show, but then that it's coinciding with Birds of Prey. Because I think the image that a lot of people who saw Suicide Squad walked away with was really kind of problematic with kind of the, that, I, I don't know a better word for it other than like fetish, fetish is the, not, all right, I'm not using that word, um, romanticizing the relationship between Harley Quinn and the Joker and how people who are not familiar with the comics are not that familiar with Batman the Animated Series took it as this is the cutest couple's costume ever for Halloween now. I like that we're actually going to see her life a little bit more publicly because she there's so much to Harley Quinn as a character. And you know, and it's it's tragic if all the people take away from her is like, hey, they're both crazy. What a fun couple, which they are not a fun couple at all. I really Real think sick. it's important you brought that up, Kelly, because it's one of those things that um, there was just too much background going on. I'll, I'll be honest, my dogs were just barking too much after uh, Brad was mentioning the part about emancipation from Birds of Prey. And the thing that stuck out with me about that word was, you know, you can't be in any sort of relationship with somebody like the Joker without it having deep 
psychological effects that last for how much afterwards. And the fact that this idea of this movie is about, you know, how do you become the person that recovers from that or moves on beyond that? Because, yes, this wasn't a healthy, cute picture postcard relationship. This was a, oh, my God. Wow. This is what happens when destruction just keeps going and the chaos that it it breaks and also what happens when somebody can damage someone else so severely. Um, So I I really like that what you're pointing out is the idea that if if all that was taken away was, you know, she's a sex pot or, you know, something to be admired for just the, the way she appears. And also, you know, that's the part of them having this relationship that was clearly so evenly matched pause that's not actually what was going on here at all and dig a little deeper and you start to understand that what happened was really traumatic and tragic and if you actually want to understand more about it understand the person understand everything about what happened and everything that's you know happening now and also everything that they want to try and do after surviving something like that yeah absolutely well said both of you yeah, because one thing that, that as comics fans we've got an advantage of over your casual TV or movie viewers, we've seen decades worth of Harley's growth as a character and her redemption from being a kook, being a crazy, being uh, at the thrall of the Joker, being abused to within an inch of her life and then escaping that and then growing as a person, growing as a character, becoming almost an anti-hero and, and helping uh, Batman on several occasions in his own comics. And the fact that people romanticize that toxic, horrible relationship between her and the Joker still worries me. And yeah. there's so much more to her as a character that we need to see that develop. And the fact that this cartoon isn't going to be for kids for what I can see could do that. And, and in a positive way and having a strong role model, strong female role model like Catwoman there as well, who no one messes with, I think that can only be a plus. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also in, um, you know, as far as seeing really human depictions of DC characters that everybody knows, we have a new feature app for the Pennyworth show that's coming out. Um, and it looks like, which I love, because I wasn't sure about this when I first heard that, you know, they were going to make a show specifically focused on Alfred. I like the idea of focusing on him, but I was a little bit worried that it's just trying to almost over-saturate the Batman universe into the world, kind of. Um, But I like that it seems like they're planning on focusing on him as a person and what would actually drive someone forward to, to have the role that he has in the life of not only Bruce Wayne, but his parents. And it's going to be really fun to see the Waynes not dead and not not even close to being dead. We get to see some of their happy years. <laughs> there, there will be no pearls, I'm hoping. <laughs> okay, we now have a tie for the new tag thing at the end of the episode. The Waynes not dead is also up there. I'm just submitting it. Let anyone out, Josh. You're the decider, That's man. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, let me get out of the way. The rain's Steve. not dead and wearing nice jeans. Yeah. <laughs> nice jeans. Yeah. See the Wayne's live, like actually alive. That'll. I'm... Fantastic. That was awesome. Guy Kelsey got to host more. Got to seriously host more. That was rad. That's so good. So so good. Oh. <laughs> 
Sí, sí. It's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna mute. Steve, you go. I'm 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 just so happy right now. I could honestly talk to you guys all day, every day. You just make me happy. Um Wow. Kelly, uh, I've got to go back to something you said, which is so true. I mean, I said it last week, I think, that when I first heard about the Pennyworth show, I thought, oh, really? But with every snippet, every teaser, every trailer, everything they're showing, it seems to me that they're thinking about what they're making. This isn't going to be another Batman spin-off or Batman time because it's decades before. It's going to be... This is the story of the man behind batman the man that helps batman be who he is and what makes a character like that what can make the man who raises a a boy who isn't his own as his own and keeps him on the straight and narrow stitches up his wounds feeds him keeps him healthy keeps him sane and that kind of a story's just got so many ways it can go and then you throw in the whole espionage and the spy and the thrills and chills of 60s London and you've got a recipe for a show that could run for years if they do it properly and for everything they're releasing it seems that they are they're taking it seriously and they're they're putting love and care into it so yeah um with every snippet I'm more and more intrigued uh Seth with Wayne's being alive and stuff what's your take (laughs) on it (laughs) um I, I really enjoyed just the fact that each one of these uh, trailers, these featurettes, these previews have been building upon the, the knowledge that's introduced from the first to the next to the next. And I love the idea in the last one that we were kind of shown that uh, the value of the relationship between Alfred and Thomas Wayne is grown with that sort of threat that's implied at the end of the last trailer. And now in this new trailer, it stops for him and says, yeah, that's that's all what's going on that that ties him to Wayne's and and all that. But let me just tell you, as a director, what really stuck with me was for all this craziness going on in the DC universe. And you can only define superheroes and villains and supervillains, I mean, as a form of craziness for an average person like Alfred. And Alfred is the average person, the normal human being who has experienced what what seems like normal for his time he served in the war he did his duty and now he's just trying to to make his way and i love that there's that foreshadowing that he doesn't want to end up like his father and i love that they really made a point of pointing that out because you see the the gentleman wearing the butler's outfit in the last trailer and maybe the one before it but you're not really sure who he is. It could be an uncle. It could be anyone. But the fact that it's like he doesn't want to follow in his father's footsteps, yet we all know through his you know, future that that's what he's going to do. And yet I, I love that also he's going to do all of these things to make himself his own man and then eventually see a value in becoming a role like his father eventually had, maybe for a different sort of person to work for in that way but i really feel that that's going to be an interesting thing that they will be tying together throughout because the fact that they made that reference to his history and his desire to not become that it also reminds me of that great sort of joseph campbell thing you know the idea that you know in some ways so many people become their parents either fathers or mothers but also the things that they do before they become that you know it's all about this amazing opportunity to see 
all of those people he gets to meet, all those great connections that he'll have in the DC universe that will better inform him as that guy who can be Batman's right-hand man. And also, yeah, the Wayne's alive is, is pretty cool. <laughs> uh, Brad, right, that's what's your deep. thoughts? <laughs> you know, you know I, when we talked about this last week, and I'll repeat myself, is that if this wasn't a Batman tie-in show, I would still want to watch it from what I've seen. And this this little snippet definitely keeps that going. Um, it, I love the the setting the 60s London. I mean, it's just yeah, it's the, every everything that I see about this. And the more I see about it, the more excited I get. Yeah, that's and you know what? Actually, I think piggybacking on that this will be a fantastic sort of can be a fantastic standalone show. That seems to be the problem with a lot of the things that DC's done wrong is that if you were to take away the reputation of the character and take away the universe around them, that the stories don't stand by themselves. So it is actually, Brad, that's a great point that this looks like something that they're approaching from the the side of telling a good story. And this actually could breathe some life back into, uh, oh my God, breathe some life back into the Waynes. Wow, that was an unintentional <laughs> phrase. <laughs> <laughs> that was <laughs> <laughs> we know what you meant. Felt tragic. Yeah, exactly. You you guys understand. I am I'm Save definitely not. <laughs> but there I mean, when's the last time their death felt truly tragic to longtime Batman fans? When's the last time that you really felt that kind of weight? So if we have the opportunity through the show to get to know them as people, get to know them as a couple, to see them develop a relationship and start building that life, yeah. I think it's going to be even more terrifying when they die. Yeah, absolutely. Now, because well, you're right, safe. it doesn't have a yeah. lot of emotional weight. Now I'm just expecting the pearls to break and shatter. And <laughs> That's what, you know, and so you're right. That does give it a lot more, <laughs> a lot more emotional weight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Getting to see them is going to be... I'm excited for that. That, If nothing else, if Alfred wasn't already just a stand-up guy, we're getting to see all of the components of the Batman story that make it so good, but without Batman, with just you know them being able to exist in their own right. And I think that's going to be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so with that, um, we're going to go to another sponsor break, and we will be right back to cover some comic news and then just other important happenings in the DC world. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. Alrighty, and we're back. This is the DC Comics News Podcast episode number 30. 
and we are going to cover some comics news. So I'm here with um, Seth, Steve, and Brad. Guys, say hello. 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 <laughs> we have a mini <laughs> barbershop quartet going on. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I'm glad we're starting on a high note because the next bit of news is actually really depressing. I am personally very sad about it. DC has decided to officially retire Vertigo as an imprint along with the rest of their imprints. But I think Vertigo is the one that is really resonating with fans as as a loss. Um, so let's start with, with Steve. What do you think? Listen, this is heartbreaking. Uh, Brad and Seth, we've discussed this so much over the, the, the last few weeks, how to us um, being slightly older than certain people whose initials are KG, um, <laughs> we experienced Vertigo's birth. And for many of us, it was one of the many reasons that maybe we didn't stop reading comics. Because there was a time when, you know, work, finances, getting married, you know, maybe comics was something I needed to leave behind. Then along came this chap from some random country called England or something called Alan Moore. (laughs) A buddy of his called Neil Gaiman. And they started writing comics that had layers for adults and weren't aimed at kids and got rid of um, censorship and comics codes and decided to still tell stories the same way that novels and films did things that made you think and feel and that led to vertigo and they've been creating magnificent comics ever since so to see the vertigo imprint go yes i know that a lot of the titles remain they'll just be merged into the larger dc universe or be put into the black label but to me the vertigo name means something the characters are read from swamp thing to john constantine hellblazer to the doom patrol by grant morrison and shade the changing man and animal man and all those characters they grew up with me they took the step from childhood to adolescence to adulthood with me so it's heartbreaking. I'm really going to miss not seeing the Vertigo name on comics. So I'm just going to have to pull out all my old ones, read them again and have those fond memories. Because it, it, like I said, Kelly, this, this to me is sad. This is heartbreaking news. Yeah. Seth, what do you feel, mate? I'm in such a confused place when I try and think about how to respond to something like this. I understand that things have to move forward at some point that there's always going to be a a, a process involving change or reiteration but there was something specific about the vertigo line for me that always said that this was different and it recognized that it was that it embraced that it was that it was okay with being called the literature side of comic books or the literature side of of dc um what I remember the most is that those were the comics that that were forbidden to me when I was in the seventh and eighth grade and I was first introduced to comics. Of course, I'm introduced to comics while I had to attend a private school because my mom was a teacher at a private school while getting her teaching credential. And that was the only place that would hire her without. 
And the only thing they would give her instead of a raise is free tuition. So suddenly my mom's like, guess what? If we get free tuition for you two and I can't get a raise, you're going to a private school for a year or two. I'm, I'm getting my money's worth. And that's when I meet my friend Josh Dieter, who introduces me to comic books. And I remember going to his house and here's this Sandman comic book. And, and here's this like guy being given the keys to hell and Lucifer and I'm freaking out. Because I'm going to a Christian school and I'm like, oh, come on, man. We're going to hell. Why do you want to damn my eternal soul? And not only that, it's like, you know, Satan giving up, you know, the keys to are you kidding? This is like blasphemy on top of it. Oh, my God. And and then it became that thing of why is it so forbidden? And then as I got older, why is it people keep telling me to read banned books? Why is it that? If it's something that I'm being told will challenge me or make me question my beliefs, why, 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 why am I not reading this? And gradually the introduction became something where I had the chance to, to dive in um, or even in any way sort of like begin to get to know it, but that it was something that became this want for me. And as I got older, and I could find Vertigo books and not have somebody looking over my shoulder telling me I couldn't do that and and start to read them that I could see this amazing just conceptualization of characters and ideals and in so many ways our our worst fears and our greatest hopes and presented in a way that wasn't framed by capes, costumes or masks. And that this was something that made comics a completely different thing for me to, to engage with. And also something that caused me to take my breaks from work in other places and go to the Borders or Barnes and Nobles, find the comic book graphic novel section where they'd had collected trade paperbacks, sit down in one of those chairs they always told me to sit in and just disappear <laughs> for a while and sort of like think about when these were written and how old I was and how I could still try and connect to, to what it was then at that time and what it could have meant for me if I could have read them then. So I'm a little saddened by the fact that others won't get to. And yet at the same time, um, I know that my story is just an echo of so many others, like Steve just told and, and Brad, like I'm sure you can add as well. Yeah, uh, I was also a little heartbroken because, you know, Steve, you made a good point, which I can echo in that. It was one of those things that brought you back to comics as you grew up. Like when I was young and in junior high, it was Larry Hama's run on G.I. Joe, Chris, Clem Chris Claremont's run on Uncanny X-Men that so kept me anchored good. in the comics. Then as I got older and into college, it was Preacher and Sandman, and it just drew me in. I mean, there was I, – I can't stress how important those stories were to me. Uh, you know, I, if it had a Vertigo logo, a lot of times I would buy it because that that yep. logo meant quality and it meant good, sophisticated stories. And it was something that was kind of outside all the crazy comic continuity going on. It was its own. All these stories were their own little thing. And, you know, it was the sign of quality. So I'm going to miss not seeing Vertigo books on the shelf. But I think that comics as a medium, too, has kind of um, evolved a bit in a way that they are seen more as adult in a way than they were. So it's not as necessary to have a specific 
vertigo anymore. Uh, the branding is not quite as necessary. Maybe they're trying to unmuddy the waters a little bit because now they have black label and they don't want to, you know, and Zoom and ink and all this, you know, and they don't, and they're trying to, to make the branding of it all a little easier. So as much as I'm going to miss Vertigo, I don't think DC is going to stop telling those stories. I think that there'll always be a place in the DC uh, world for those kind of stories. And that's because Vertigo and what, and the trails that they blazed ahead of time. But, you know, and we will always have those stories. We'll always have Why the Last Man, Fables, all those just incredible groundbreaking books that they've published over the years. We'll always have that. And we'll always be able to, you know, to spread that word. And those books will always get reprinted you know they just won't have the vertical logo and how it'll just be black label well so. said man huge virtual hug coming your way for that brilliant yeah. <laughs> here, here. <laughs> agreed well said Brad. thank you actually yeah. i i just remembered um kind of seth from what you said um about a year ago i reread the first volume of shade the changing man and it was written in I think the 90s, if not the 90s, the early 2000s, but I was kind of floored because it opens with, um, you know, this girl going to introduce her parents to her new boyfriend, and he's black, and her family lives in the South, and a police officer misreads a crime scene and shoots her boyfriend. And with everything that was going on in the news at the time when I was reading that, I was kind of just amazed at the fact that you know, this is a decade apart, but this book is still really relevant. And it was brave to publish then, and I think it'd be brave to publish now. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so hopefully DC still keeps that with Vertigo gone. I hope. I mean, we can only hope. Agreed. But, Although I'm going to be honest, I think, really, Brad, I, I think you sort of, you know, brought in a, a good perspective, which is that up until now, the only thing I've heard is this is something that, that can't be, you know, regained. Once lost you know, the, the disappearance of vertigo means, you know, the end of everything kind of feeling. And uh, actually, it reminds me of if you've ever seen the silly TV show American Dad, when the, uh, <laughs> the friend Barry goes, this is the all is lost moment. And it kind of felt like <laughs> that's what everybody's been doing, you know, and it's like, oh, no, this is happening. And this is happening. All is lost. And, and yet, Brad, you really point out like, OK, look, there was a need for vertigo when it came out. And it did something and it continued to do something. Now we're looking at everything that's going on and we're saying maybe there isn't a need. Now, the sirens in the background tell me that, yeah, Kelly, you're right. There will always be. They found be... me, but I can hide. <laughs> <Yeah>. Don't worry. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> All right. Whoever was letting your, their broadcast be reached by police, knock it off. Um, but, but yeah, no, the I idea that. <laughs> Remember, if they show up, you call me Barry. My name is Barry. Um, the, uh, the idea that, you know, there was a need for it at a time when you wanted to separate the, uh, the recognition that, and this is something I'm kind of interested in that I was reading about in this book Slugfest about the history of Marvel in DC. And, and Brad, you pointed to something that was really important, which was that as things were changing from the newsstand to direct to market, the, the people at DC started to recognize that if you wanted to craft a comic that was going to keep the attention of older readers, readers who had grown up with comics and now in their maturity were looking for 
more beyond just what they had grown up with. They were looking for the next stage. That's what Vertigo offered. And that was a necessary sort of stepping stone and that it, it served a purpose in creating that bridge. But now that that bridge is something that's been more sort of understood and built with like a generational idea, what's what's the same need for having that there if now you've got two or three generations who have gone to comic books shops, gone to comic book conventions, who have sort of passed on the the necessary skills to the next <laughs> the next generation and in doing yeah. so imparted that sort of wisdom that says, hey, this is what we needed then. We've reached yeah. that level <laughs> of sort of like stability as an audience and we can now make these sort of changes mm -hmm. and not go ahead. Yeah, I'm just gonna say here's the thing. You go into a comic book shop now, it's gonna be older people shopping. The trick yeah. today is not to get adults to read True. comics, it's to get kids to read comics. So, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think that that's goes into a point of where maybe Vertigo can be retired. Yeah. Right. And, and that it was and, necessary. Go ahead. Yeah. I was gonna say, Steve, you gotta tell me, man, what was in the water in the UK in the eight late eighties <laughs> and early nineties to give us like the Garth Ennis's and the Neil Gaiman's and the Alan Moore's that came out. I mean, I just, from Vertigo, giving me, giving me those perspectives of all those great English, British I writers was just like, what it was, was it? The fact that in the UK, um, 1977, you must have heard of 2000 AD, which brought us characters oh, like, yeah. most famously, Judge Dredd and then Rogue Trooper and Robo Hunter and Zenith and, and so many others, where it was literally creators wanting to tell stories that didn't just have people in capes or people with powers, though a lot of them did have that. They wanted to say, well, hey, if these characters existed, what would the world be like? Um, how would that affect everything around them? Um, this wouldn't be the same world if we had uh, a lawman who was judge, jury and executioner. That would be a dark future indeed. And how, how much power would we be giving these people? And they were just writing some great, great stories. And then American editors, uh, most famously Len Wayne, when when he was editing Swamp Thing, a character he created, and the book just wasn't doing well. Even though it was, wasn't was bad, um, there was some good stuff happening in it. He was reading these stories and thinking, these guys are authors, these guys are novelists, these guys are writers. That's what we need to be breathing into comic books because mm -hmm. they're still seen as a kid's medium. And you quite rightly said, Brad, and, and I didn't think about it until you said it, that right now it's a different era. Readers now um, respect comics as an art form far more than they did when we were growing up. Because I, as, as when I was in my 20s, I was seeing reading comics, oh, what are you reading that for? They're for kids. And these days, you walk into a comic book store and you said it. It's mainly adults, a couple of them taking their kids in with them. And that's what happened. Len Wayne brought in Alan Moore. Alan Moore brought in Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman brought in Alan Grant and Grant Morrison and all the others. And yeah, it wasn't just that... Um, we were on something, though we probably were, and it, it's it's called eccentricity. Um, I, I suffer from that <laughs> greatly. Um, it's just that we didn't have the restrictions and censorship 
that the comics book industry had since the 50s that, that you guys had in the States. And it took oh, Len Wayne's yeah. bravery oh, and Alan Moore's, yeah, deciding to write comics that broke boundaries and told stories and looked at society. And that's what changed it. The same way that the Beatles and the Stones changed rock and roll, um, Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman oh, changed comics. Know, I, I always say that, that I grew up in the, sorry to go off the subject here, guys, but, you know, the vertigo <laughs> just does me a lot. So, but, you know, you're bringing up the Beatles and I always felt that one of the reasons why comics have stuck with me in my life the way they have is that I grew up in a time that uh, those kind of comic book, those, the, the medium was growing up, like you said, and I felt like that would be the way, like if I was growing up in the Beatles you know, with music when the Beatles yeah. or, you know, Jefferson Airplane, when that medium was changing. And I felt like, you know, Vertigo was definitely uh, the tip of that the tip of that sphere. OK, so this is where the collective unconscious starts to get creepy, because the whole time I've been listening and waiting to follow up after Steve, the only thing I could think of was what he also mentioned was 1977. I'm sorry, but 1977 was also right during one of the big booms of the punk era. And the whole idea behind the punk era was this sort of anti-establishment response. And also, I remember this great documentary that I, I saw with a friend where Johnny Rotten is talking and he's like, you know, it was so messed up. The Labor Party had promised us everything. And when we saw that we had nothing after all those promises, we were really pissed off and we were tired of listening to them. We were going to start saying something. And it feels like so much of that energy is what was coming out of all these British writers, too. Like, I kid you not, I, I seriously think now, like, they were all just jamming to all this punk and then came out like, yeah, <laughs> comics establishment, let me show you something. Basically, yeah. like, and, and, and a lot of writers, yeah, they were influenced by punk rock, uh, you know, Neil Gaiman, certainly. Uh, oh, yeah, without uh, a doubt. About it. Up until then. Yeah, it's exactly right. Up until then, comic books were being Crosby and <laughs> the I, Neil Gaiman's animals of the world were with the Johnny Rottens and the, and the, yeah, spot on. Yeah, thanks, guys. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> actually, that is actually a really good segue into our next story is new titles that are coming out for the DC Kids line. Um, personally, the one that jumped out to me the most is that they're doing Victor and Nora based on um, Mr. Freeze and his wife. I'm not sure how they're going to make that for kids exactly, but I'm just really excited that it's happening at all. Um, so what, what do you guys think? What, did anything jump out at you specifically? Again, it's like you read my mind. That was the one that leapt out at me as well. I'm thinking, hang on, what? That's a kid's book. I want <laughs> to read that so much. That's one that literally thought, hmm, cool. No, sorry, I'm not going to go down that road. I am not Arnie. Um, the, I thought, brilliant. But there's so many of them. And if you look yeah. at some of the characters, um, Johnny Constantine, that's going to be absolutely terrifying. Uh, and all the others. And... <laughs> Then I saw one that really made me smile. And if you go back to last week, Seth, and um, when Joshua asked us which character needed their own book, and I see Zatanna, then I'm just jumping up and down and clapping with glee. <laughs> Some of these books, the pictures, the art, the design, the ideas for the stories, and Brad, my friend, you said it. 
we need to get the kids reading comics. Yeah. Look yeah. at this list of riches, this treasure trove of stuff that I want to buy and give to all my young nieces and nephews. Uh, and honestly, um, this is a great time to be a comics reader because I can buy all these books and actually pretend it's for them. But I'll read them <laughs> first. I'll adore them. I'll love them. Um, very happy. Really, really looking forward to a ton of these. Seth, what do you think, my brother? It's really hard to narrow down which one of these I would like the most, which ones I'm going to hoard for myself, which ones <laughs> I'm going to buy double copies of because I'll be sharing them, yes, with nieces and nephews. Um, I, I love that my nieces have become such big fans of DC Superhero Girls. In fact, I mentioned that they've even changed who, which sort of character they want to be at different stages of their age and enjoyment of the show. So now having even more content to int introduce them, I, I love these ideas behind these stories. I love that there's so many different characters that I can sort of put in front of them and say, hey, so you like DC, you know, you like DC superhero girls. What about Amethyst? What, <laughs> you know what I mean? And start yeah. just sort of like branching it out a little bit. Okay, so I've gotten you into some pretty cool girl characters. Do you want to learn about guys? No, 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 no. Okay, Diana, Princess of the Amazons. Keep it moving. Keep it moving. But the idea that there's such a great selection here. And I, I also love that that mixed in um, anti slash hero and a few others really catch my attention. Of course, as you mentioned, the uh, the Johnny Constantine and, and so many others. I think what I really like the most is they're saying, OK, guys, we're going to try and give you as many options to choose from. Show us what you like. Show us what you really like. And those are the titles that we'll keep trying to write more and more you know, examples of or those are the things that we're going to learn from. But you've got such a great selection here. I mean, and as you keep going through through 2021, even it, it feels like there's a lot of thought being put into that thing that, that Brad so wisely brought up. Who are we looking at introducing to connecting with through comics? And this is a really great opportunity to get a, a lot of young audiences to, to look at comics and also in the process to learn more about characters they might have only seen glimpses of or hints of and now that they can follow their stories if it's something that they they really want to dig into how about you Brett? yeah i, I would read these books without shame i, you know, <laughs> I i'm, I'm looking for them I, yeah. it's gonna be fun to see just how these writers interpret the characters and how they are presented for a younger audience i mean we're talking about punk rock there's no more punk rock comic character pretty much than john constantine so the fact that they're calling him johnny constantine cracks me up you know right yes. out of the gate so uh you know and i i'm looking forward to those antenna stories yeah just there's so much and the yeah the the mr free story is going to be interesting i yeah this is this is going to be uh a fun couple of years with these books i think for sure and and yeah i'm saying that's, like, that's great anything that gets Anything that gets the next generation reading comics is an absolute good thing. Yeah. In fact, anything that gets the younger generation reading is a great thing. Yes. <laughs> you know. <and> I'm, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be banned in private schools because I'm willing to bet Johnny Constantine's going to be one of them. <laughs> I, I went to a private school as a kid, and I, I'm banking on it now that there will be no demon fighting allowed. Yeah, right. But that makes it better. That makes it more interesting. Absolutely. So we, I mean, that brings them in. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs>
And going back to the punk <laughs> rock thing, Brad, did you remember? Did you guys read Hellblazer back when it first started? If you remember, John Constantine did call himself Johnny, and he was in a punk rock band yeah. called Mucus Membrane. M- Mucus Membrane, yep. yes. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> that, I always kind of hoped they would have found a band to record some songs and just called themselves Mucus Membrane and slipped a little flexi disc in one of the one of the comics <laughs> or graphic novels. I would love that. <laughs> Uh, we should do it. We should yeah. do it. We are the new mucus membrane. The four of us. Yeah, I can play drums. So. I can play the fool. But you knew that. I'm going to say it right now. I can rock a tambourine like nobody else. <laughs> I will gladly clap for all of you. <laughs> yeah. But actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because the young animals imprint that you know, ended recently, that had a Spotify playlist that went along with every book. And yeah. I actually found some great music from, I think it was the Mother Panic one. I found a lot of songs that I still listen to regularly on my drive to work because it's like, wow, this is great. <laughs> I, they should do that with more books. They should. Because getting the music involved kind of makes it more alive. I love the fact that Scott Snyder shared a metal uh, playlist when he wrote Dark Knight's Metal, because there was so much music involved in that, and little um, jokes and tricks and guitar riffs and Stratocasters and stuff like that in the actual text, that he, he actually made a like 30, 40 track rock playlist and called it Metal mm-hmm. and, and put that on Spotify. So more of that, yes, please. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm not the only one to suggest, too, that there were certain things I loved listening to when I got new books. Like if I knew I'd gotten a great collection of books and I'd set aside the time to read them, there was a certain playlist I was going to put on. I would sometimes stop, get up from reading the book that I was reading because there was a good scene and I wanted a certain song to go with. Am I the only one who's doing this? I've okay. Done that. I've done it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> love it. Yeah. And it was just that sense of when I did that, what also sort of nailed it for me was I remember reading um, to show my, again, my, my age with my Flash storyline. I remember this great Wally West storyline. At the end of it, there had been a letter from the writer, and I'm going to mix up who it was. I'm not sure if it was Mark Wade or, or who was doing the run at the time. But he said, I'm going to tell you a secret. While writing this, I've been writing the entire thing to the soundtrack from The Magnificent Seven. Oh, and the next storyline, it's also going to be the soundtrack I'm using. That's right, Magnificent Seven. Go ahead, read the book again. Give it a, li- you know what I mean. And he presented yeah. me with that idea. It's like the first time somebody's like, "Dude, so I'm just gonna say, Pink Floyd and the Wizard of Oz." Like, yo, <laughs> yeah, and your right. brain goes, "What?" <laughs> and suddenly you're you're presented this idea of what happens when you match your music with your literature, and you just, you know what I mean, or with your movie viewing experience, and what happens when you cross them, and yeah. Yeah, just that whole idea right there of of someone who's offering up to let you know, hey, you want to experience what it was like for me to create this? This is my playlist. And I love that comic version that you mentioned, Kelly, and I love the reference to Mr. Snyder that you just gave, Steve. That's it. Brilliant. Absolutely. I love that stuff. Yeah. I Yeah. And I mean, if it, if it gets people more involved, if it gets more readers engaging with the story, I think it's a fantastic idea. I'd love to see them do more of that. Um, something actually our next our next story I would actually rather see less of there is an upcoming justice or young justice and kingdom come crossover um, 
personally, I would really rather them not use Kingdom Come for anything. It's a perfect little self-sustaining story on its own. But what what do you think, Steve? Yeah, exactly that. Kingdom Come is up there with things like Watchmen and V for Vendetta for me. Kingdom Come is one of those stories where they actually did the clever thing of getting your mainstay superheroes, your Superman, your Batman, your Wonder Woman, your Flash, and totally turning the whole idea and their whole universe on its head and bringing in Gog and everything else. I sometimes wish that stuff like that would just be left alone. However, then something happened called Doomsday Clock. And it's treated Watchmen respectfully. It's built on it. And it's brought in the main Sadie's universe. I just... hmm. Why Young Justice? Perhaps that would have been better with the upcoming return of the Justice Society. I don't know. So I'm intrigued, but yeah if it ain't broke. So I, I totally see where you're coming from, Kelly. I, I felt the exact same way. Um, yeah, it's one of my favourite comic books of all time. Mm. Yeah. 50-50. I, I, don't know, I don't know how to take it. Potential, yes, but should it be left alone? I, what it's would you risk. think, sir? Yeah, absolutely. The, the the most dangerous thing about doing this podcast from my room, which is probably the quietest place where I live, is that to my right is a shelf of graphic novels, some of my favorite trade paperbacks to, to pull out on a regular basis and some who have just sort of stayed there for whatever reason. And as I was thinking about everything that that Kelly, you said, as you introduced it and Steve, as you were describing about it and, and my concerns I'm looking over and I see kingdom come and right next to it, I see the kingdom and everything that was beautiful about kingdom come felt like it was just unraveled by the kingdom. I've picked up Mm -hmm. kingdom come and read it over and over again. I I love that sort of, you know, spirituality, that sort of like apocalyptic sensation, you know, that thing that I always grew up in churches with like somebody telling me the end of the world's coming and here's a book that's saying, (laughs) Oh my God, what if it really happens? And what if it's your superheroes that are bringing it to, to bear? And that sort of huge weight and that because it did that, it created this, as as just was said so much better by both Steve and Kelly, a perfect story. And the problem with that perfect story is that someone tried to do something like the kingdom afterwards. And I felt like if you just left kingdom come alone, you would have had this signature moment when you just recognized how good something was and went stop 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 stop, put that down yeah (laughs) whatever part of the chaotic brain that's like wait 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 let me just mess with the word stop stop (laughs) and um that's the feeling that i have when i'm like look learn from your mistakes okay if you're gonna do this i'm okay with it because yeah i get it there, there, there's one thing I could see, and Steve, when, when you mentioned what could be the value of having this happen, why would you have Young Justice? Or Kelly, both of you, I mean, between the three brilliant people, I sometimes get your ideas mixed up, so I apologize for that. <laughs> but uh, one of you just said, hey, why, why with Young Justice? Exactly, right? The collective. 
And with that, I thought, okay, there's one value I can see, which is Young Justice seeing their older selves and just how things can change. You know, it's it's sort of this sort of eerie moment where if you were to take anyone else as a young version and show them, you know, the people that came before them or versions of themselves, much like they did with the Super Sons recently, where they had uh, the two boys sort of see these imagined versions of themselves or these dreamed versions of themselves in the Super Sun storyline. See, having Young Justice kind of see these older versions of either themselves or characters that they're kind of modeled after, it, it might sort of be a really heavy moment for them because the characters from Kingdom Come, the one thing about them is that they show you that sort of challenge that Harvey Dent gave in uh, Dark Knight, which is you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. You, you run that risk. The longer you play the long game, the odds are against you. You know, you can't keep beating them. And at some point, you're going to make mistakes. There's going to be consequences. Relationships will get ruined. Hard choices will be made when you feel like you have to make hard choices. And things change. And seeing just how different these senior versions of themselves are compared to the sort of bright possibility and, and raw freshness of Young Justice might be a really compelling but if you don't do it right it's just going to end up on the shelf like the the kingdom and yeah. i'm not going to read it again whereas with kingdom come i keep rereading it so if you're going to do it do something i want to pick up again and again because you're doing it so right yeah. and and that's your intention like we we know it's a perfect story and we're going to add to a perfect story or do right by a perfect story brad please follow yeah. up on <laughs> yeah, Steve, I think you called into my head this time because I felt the same way. Like, you know, leave, you know, what you're both saying, leave something alone, you know, leave it alone. It's so good on its own. But then we had Doomsday Clock that made me think, OK, well, maybe there is an interesting spin. And I felt the same way you did. Why Young Justice? Why not Justice Society? They're bringing the Justice Society back. Why not Justice Society? That seems to make a lot more sense. So, you know, I guess I will hold out my final judgment until I get a chance to actually read it. And uh, Seth, I, I, you know, I hope that it is one of those things that you're going to want to read over and over and over again, but I just don't know. I think the verdict's going to be out until I can actually have the book in front of me and see what's going on. Yeah. It's like you say, for every Dark Knight Returns, you get a Dark Knight Strikes Again. For every Watchman, <laughs> you get a Before Watchman. You know, for every kingdom come, you get the kingdom. But then again, after before Watchmen, we got Doomsday Clock. And uh, it's I think it's going to be like sitting, watching a horror movie from behind your hand and then opening your fingers to see if it's safe to watch it. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I'm intrigued, but I, I'm worried because kingdom comes just so great. And like you said, Seth, the kingdom, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> I I wish it wasn't true, but it is, and <laughs> that's unchangeable. God, well, I mean, yeah. Again, we can only hope. We have to, I guess, have some faith in DC that there is a part of them willing to hire writers who are dedicated to the characters and dedicated to the story. I'm really hoping we don't end up with just look at this. It's your favorite thing, but again. Which is, I, it kind of feels like those scenes in cartoons where someone keeps coming back wearing a different costume. Like with the, 
think it's in Family Guy where Peter comes to get a free sample and like three different kinds of mustaches. <laughs> and it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm really hoping we don't have that where it's just Kingdom Come with a bad mustache. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, that that would be heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if it's done with a, you know, a sense of tact and sort of recognition of the, the value of Kingdom Come and, and the characters from that first story, okay, you know, sell it, prove me, you know, make it about a great story where I can really see that connection and you leave me with something, something that, that makes me go, okay, you, you've, you've done something to Young Justice. They've, they've been affected by this in some way. It's going to resonate with them in some way. But if it's just, hey... We finished another issue. Cool, huh? And we did it with this instead of that. Cool. Like, yeah, that's that, that's going to feel very gimmicky. And, and that's the, the one thing I'd, I'd hate to see characters from Kingdom Come be reduced to is just, a, wow, well, we sold so many percentage more issues because we included them this time around. Let's not have it be about anything else except, hey, there's a chance here to, to bring in these things that are happening with the multiverse, with Doomsday Clock, with so many other things that are disruptive. Here's a chance to sort of like take advantage of that and, and do something meaningful. But you better have the meaning there or we're going to talk about you. We're going to be on yep. this podcast. We're going to say <laughs> not all of it's going to be nice. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? At the end, we share our social media. You can come get us. We're OK with that. <laughs> Absolutely. DC um, Comics, prove us wrong. That's what I say. Prove us yeah. wrong. Do something yeah. great yeah. with this, not something mediocre. Prove us wrong. Yeah. Absolutely. And so we actually have, um, you know, hopefully none of us will jump ship after seeing what happens to Kingdom Come, but we do have a title that's jumping ship from it was going to be Vertigo and now it's going to be an image title called Safe Sex. Um, I read the synopsis. It sounds... I mean, my only comment is it sounds like a wild ride of a book. And part of me is a little bit amazed that um, any part of DC was ever like, yep, this is this is what we're doing. Because honestly, it does kind of sound like an image comic. Um, what do you think, Steve? It gives me a bit of hope because after um, the whole sadness of, of Vertigo closing, the fact that we are going to get not mainstream, quirky, different edgy titles still being produced maybe image is another way forward for that so it, it makes me happy that dc is still willing to produce content that isn't the norm we need to have stuff out there for every kind of reader so i'm i'm actually encouraged by this it, it leads to the fact that dc do have a strategy they are thinking long term and even with the loss of vertigo that there is a movement and a way forward for content that like you said from that synopsis is cray cray <laughs> so um yeah this is encouraging i want to see more of that kind of decision making and and process moving forward when some titles have been lost and never seeing the light of day, the fact that they're still going to go forward with this under image, it's still DC. It might be called Image Comics. It's still DC. So I'm quite heartened by this. What about you, Seth? Do you think that's good news? Well, I think it's always good news when um, 
creators get a chance to give their stories and their product, this safe sex book, a chance to let audiences decide, hey, is this something that we should keep doing? And that, you know, this was a byproduct of the changes that were happening to Vertigo and maybe a little bit had to do with some of the other things mentioned in here about some of the, the issues going on with titles like border town and also the sort of controversy that was rise uh, or that arose with uh, second coming. Uh, I'm intrigued because I think it's interesting that they were planning to publish this book because yes, everything about the description is phenomenal. And yet I couldn't help but note the idea of bureaucratized sex as sounding just a little bit like maybe the handmaid's tale in some way mm -hmm. and I, I have to wonder if maybe there isn't just enough uh enough peeling back of the envelope enough sort of expansion that's gone on in the the overall general public conscious about this idea where this title would have seemed like something that that they could move forward with whereas until that i would have thought to myself i i really don't think that that might work you know i think there could be some serious pushback but i feel like it's it's a concept that now has um been part of a, a bigger discussion that's that's included so many other different um areas of interest that you wouldn't expect that now it feels like something that comics can also say hey you know that's one part of that but we also have some things to say about this i love that safe sex is going to do it through their book and that the writer and artist get a chance to you know continue with their book it's one of those consequences that we'll probably continue to hear about things that were planned that changed because of the change to Vertigo. But I'm curious now just to pick up this book because I'm like, hey, <laughs> what <laughs> what is it that's in here that DC was willing to do that can kind of give us an idea of, of where they were thinking? And also, you know, what is it that, that also made it so possible for it to find a new home in, in a company like Image? You know, Ahoy is... Uh, no small comic by itself, but it, I don't think it's on the same caliber as Image. So Second Coming going to Ahoy is one thing, but I feel like the Safe Sex book going to Image is, uh, it's not so much a status thing, but it's a recognition maybe of its caliber, especially with the Image titles that we've seen. So I, I'm really intrigued as how it, it fits with them. And, and I think reading the book is the only way to find out. How about you, Brad? Yeah, I think Image might be a good fit. Uh, you know, they do or had published sex criminals so it's not completely out of the realm of possibility they would publish something <laughs> that crazy and to sum it up I'd, I'd much rather see a book get published no matter how than get canceled you know so i am glad that we're still going to be able to see yes. it even though it's not going to be on vertigo i'm just glad that it's going to you know still get put out and one thing that i'm, I'm realizing that we haven't talked about and maybe this is kind of a conspiracy theory thing is all this rebranding going on in D.C., I wonder how much of a part the AT&T takeover of Warner Brothers has to do with any of that. Uh, mm. You know, I don't know. That would be interesting. Probably yeah, nothing, but it's, 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 it's a possibility. Yeah, no, totally that's very true. Yeah, sorry. Wait, yeah, no, I'm like thinking, <laughs> oh, God, how much, do, how much does a massive corporation change like that play into the types of stories we even get to see and how? That's terrifying actually <laughs> but um yeah so hopefully we don't see too much of a a break off between the types of stories that we're going to be told by vertigo um you know brad like what you were saying before that 
we can kind of expect this mature storytelling in any comic publisher at this point is hopefully a very good thing. Um, yeah, I we'll we'll see how AT and T handles you know as a whole superheroes. That'll be fascinating. <laughs> yeah, and you know it's kind of funny too. In another, um, sorry, I have a lot to say about the Vertigo thing, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I I always view kind of like DC Marvel as kind of like your ABC NBC, and then you yes. had Vertigo as your HBO Showtime. But now what's happened in culture is that you have networks like AMC and FX being able to push that envelope to that point where they're still making great TV. So and, you know, minus your Game of Thrones, some of those cable series have kind of fallen when it comes to like your AMCs. So that's another reason that, you know, as as the medium grows up, you don't necessarily need those same avenues you don't need HBO and Showtime to see a great adult drama. You know what I mean? So it's the way the world changes, I guess. And actually, speaking <laughs> of changes, we've got some more. Um, the Legion of Superheroes is no longer from the 31st century. They are jumping over to the 32nd century um, in their upcoming appearance. So how do you guys feel about that? Is there going to be a huge difference jumping centuries? Is our because we're not there yet, are we not really going to notice? What do you think? Um, why is what I think. Because <laughs> um, are any of us going to live to see the 31st century? Um, why 100 years <laughs> for no reason exactly? Um, Bendis, come over here so I can slap you on your head. What? <laughs> what? Why? I just don't get it. I can understand updating them, changing their costumes, making them a bit more now. But the whole hundred years time jump um, is that Dr. Manhattan's watch breaking again. I don't know what is happening. Um, And they're letting him get the Kingdom Come characters to meet Young Justice. Um, Hmm. Uh, I used to like Brian Bendis' writing a lot, and nowadays I'm just thinking, yeah, he's cool, he's got some good ideas, but maybe you should just leave him with his creator-owned stuff, because I'm not sure I'm really enjoying his superhero stuff. Why? It just seems like a completely random and unnecessary change. If it ain't broke, Mr. Bendis, doesn't need (laughs) fixing now, does it? Seth, please make some sense of this, because I'm just more baffled than baffled Jack McBaffled winner of last year's Mr. Baffled competition. <laughs> so I've got this issue with being teased. It's one of the reasons why there's certain things where they're like, hey, give us more and we'll show you a little more. Give us a little more money and we'll show you a little more. Show us a little more interest. I, I want to know a little bit more than just this sort of teaser, which says, hey, guess what I did? Bye. And I'm going... Yeah, no, I haven't I haven't taken the hook. I'm the fish swinging <laughs> around, waiting to see, you know, go ahead and load that lineup with some different bait. Put something on that's going to get my attention, because right now, all you've done is change the date and waited to see if I'm going to react. And I could, but my other question is what Steve just said, which is why. So until I hear you give me anything else besides that we changed it, I'm still waiting. You know, you can... You can see who's jumping and reacting, but 
right now, those of us who are still waiting are going to say, all right, show me more. Show me more, and, th- and then I'll, I'll tell you something. Because right now, you just want to see what my gut reaction is by changing it one century to another. And like you said, I'm not going to be here. Uh, <laughs> so with all <laughs> yeah. that in mind, how is it really supposed to affect me? Tell me how it affects me and the characters I care about. I'll have something to say back. Right now, I think you're just teasing me. And I got to a certain age where I don't realize how I'm going to deal with people that tease me. And one of them is not doing what you want. So, Brad, what do you think, my friend? Yeah, I, I, I would say the same thing. Why? I mean, I'm guessing that for him to drop that hint, th- it, there's going to be a significant reason in the story why it's one century later. So, but the thing is, is that, yeah, why? I mean, I didn't, I'm not super up on my Legion lore. So, uh, you know, when that story popped up, I'm, I was kind of thinking, why is this newsworthy? You know, is there something that I don't know about the history of the team that would make that very significant? And judging by what you guys are saying, I didn't. So then I'm just going to guess that there's something in the story that's going to be a pretty big plot point to why it had to be 100 years later. This might be more non-news, kind of, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, either that or he's actually teasing. Maybe he's actually teasing that this legion of superheroes that we've been dying for years to be brought back to comics isn't the same legion this is a hundred years later this is completely different characters and if that's the case that is a real kick in the teeth and i think that's honestly wrong and like seth said he's he's trying to bait sharks with tofu here this is not gonna work (laughs) yeah and i wouldn't Uh, put it past bendis to do something like that either yeah Yeah. that's what it feels like to me if it's a hundred years later they can't be the same characters right yeah. Well, they, they don't have that same situation that they're facing, uh, which has always been previously described, which was there was a terrible thing that happened to the earth. Something bad happened. Well, immediately afterwards, it's really difficult to recover from that. A hundred years later, a lot's changed, especially if this is a hundred years into the Legion of Superheroes having been around since the 31st century. So, yeah, I think I think you're right, Steve. If they are making that huge jump, it's like, hold on a second. You're changing everything about what made the Legion of Superheroes, the characters they were, dealing with the problem yeah. they were at the time, which was how to establish an identity when all of this cosmic, galactic uh, change was going on. And, and that, that made it so much more difficult than just knowing you came from Earth and that was, that was part of what you were doing, which was protect the planet. There's no planet. What are you fighting for? And that was what so much about the legionnaires was identifying that what are you fighting for you're fighting for more than just a planet because those don't exist as long as they used to anymore we're thinking on a different timeline and uh removing that sort of like uh, that that sort of like urgency that i felt existed in the 31st century and removing that it 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 really makes it kind of clean and that makes it kind of like uh uh sterile and those don't generally produce great stories because it just feels like it's, well, again, sterile, which means where's the chaos? Where's the fun? Where's the, uh, you know, where's the story? But uh, I feel like I just sort of went on a blant there. <laughs> no, no, you're right. And it's a total lack of respect to decades of comics and all the brilliant stories that have come before me like i said i've been dying for the legion of superheroes to come back dying for the justice Society to come back it seems like 
Scott Snyder is doing the right thing with the Justice Society because, again, he's one of those writers who feels like, yes, I love these characters. But Bendis just seems to like want to cause furore and uh, scandal and upset and, yeah, look what I've done. Look at me. And uh, liking why? Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it might, it's funny you mentioned the whole Scott Snyder and the Justice Society because when that story came out, that made me want to go uh, and kind of reread that I think it was like around, I don't know, 2005, six or seven, that when that ser- when they brought that series back out again, kind of made me yeah. want to go and reread that. This story does not make me compelled to want to go back and reread Legion of the Superhero stories. So, Ladies yeah, and gentlemen, I rest my case. Yeah, for what that's <laughs> worth. But, you know, yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I was never... I never really read, um, you know, much about the Legion of Superheroes, but from what you guys are saying, it sounds like this kind of time jump is just, I mean, yeah, it's counteracting the character, which is all of the things that we've complimented in the past, you know, in the past couple of minutes have been stories that respected the character and respected their world. So if the only thing they're announcing is something that seems to go against that, then they're not even really building all that great of a marketing campaign towards it. Yep. But, I mean, yeah, again, for the third time, we can just hope for the best. Wouldn't it be funny <laughs> if it turns out to be, like, the most epic and respected Legion of Superheroes take in years, and we're all sitting here? That would make me happy. I hope you're right. Hey, if you we'll do see. it right, it yeah. can be. You know, you've got the characters. You've got the history. I think the one thing that you guys have all pointed out so perfectly with the Snyder references and the comparison between the two right now, Snyder, I feel like is constantly saying, Hey, look at the history, look at the characters, look at all of this rich detail that we can keep pulling from, which he's doing with characters like Starman and all these other pieces where you go, Oh my God, thank you for remembering that great thing that everybody else seems to forget. Whereas Bendis is saying, Hey, look at the future. I'm changing it all. And you're like, why, yeah. why do I want to pay exactly. attention to that exactly instead of someone who wants to pay attention to the history? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So moving on into our next story, um, Batman is getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, which I am very excited about. I think that's fantastic. Um, and it does honor the legacy of the character. It did also, though, bring up some negative emotions in terms of I truly believe that Bill Finger should be on the Walk of Fame more so than Bob Kane. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, and if, if anyone isn't familiar with that dynamic, uh, they work together to create Batman, but Kane kind of not so subtly robbed him of his uh, credit until after Bill Finger was dead. Um, so what do you guys think? Are you excited about the Batman star? How do you feel about Bob Kane, Steve? Well, obviously, Batman receiving a, a star on the Hall of Walk of Fame it's about damn time. If a character deserves it, he does. Um, well, everyone knows I'm a fan. What can I tell you? Um, definitely. But as for the whole Bob Kane, big Bill Finger thing, I've been saying it for years and years and years and years because, yes, Bob Kane created Batman. What that means is he created a character and named him batman that's it the batman bob kane created had a red costume big bat wings blonde hair and a mask like robin's a little domino mask bill finger 
give us the figure of darkness, the pointy ears, the cloak of shadows, the uh, not alive wanes, the <laughs> and everything that makes the character great. The fact that he's finally being credited is a source of joy for me. I wish it had happened a lot, lot sooner. But what can you do? It, it, it's it's history now. It's 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 in the past, but. Uh, Bill Finger's family deserve that. Um, I hope they get some recognition and some recompense for all the decades that they didn't. But um, Batman is my favourite comics character. Surprise, surprise. Yes, um, I now want to go to Hollywood just to see Batman star on the Walk of Fame. Seth, how do you feel? I think if there's any character... I think so many characters deserve this, but the one thing I love about choosing Batman for this is I always hearken back to that great statement about Superman is everything that we dream we might be capable of. And Batman is that example of everything that we are capable of. And I think recognizing that sort of attribute is one of the best reasons to put Batman there. And I love that when we saw the uh, Christopher Nolan version, it did something really important, which was to show Bruce Wayne casting off all of the things that had been part of his past, all of the things that showed that he had been given the comforts and to toss them all away and to throw himself amongst the dregs, to go to the prisons, to go to the most dangerous places, to make a name for himself. And I feel like that that sort of really ties to this idea of, you could be Batman. I could be Batman. If you want that thing enough, it's possible. And if there's one thing that's always been said about, you know, this idea behind Hollywood is you, you possibly can make it. You know, there's that possibility here. But I feel like if Hollywood's going to recognize any character, it should be a character like Batman who represents, I feel, the best of us. That sort of how much are you willing to go for that thing you believe in? Well, there's an example right there. And it's possible for all of us. Um, I, I love that idea. And I feel that that's a great recognition for a character like this. That, you know, if someone says, wow, why Batman? That's what I want to hear that first answer. Well, because, you know, before he became Batman, he was a person just like all the rest of us. person who made a choice. And the reasons behind it were their reasons, but a person who made a choice and the commitment is a legacy that we can all try and strive for. Um, so I, I love that idea of immortalizing that. I also hope that you're right, that Bill Finger can get the recognition and and also hopefully that the story can be told about how Bob Kane and Bill Finger brought Batman to life and how that's why Batman's star is there now on Hollywood Walk of Fame. And that, you know, for all the things that, might have come before that there's always an opportunity with the next step to set things right but brad i'm sure you have planned out as well my friend uh one thing i want to say is if you guys haven't seen it there's a documentary about bill finger uh batman and bill uh in america it's on hulu uh steve i don't know what the deal is over in the uk um you know uh brad just interrupted i have i I think it's also on netflix too different ways yeah Oh, it's on Netflix now. Brilliant. Yeah, I do remember seeing it come up, I believe, on Netflix. Now, they have a different sort of time period for when things go on and stay on, and it might be even more different 
internationally. But yeah, that could be a place for you to check as well, Steve, because I do know also sometimes with the properties, Netflix can be that bridge for the international audience sometimes too. Yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, I saw, uh, yeah, I, I have seen it through uh, <clears throat> nefarious means. Um, <laughs> so the fact that it's uh, on Netflix makes me happy. Yeah, definitely want to see uh, a slightly more watchable version. So yeah, definitely good, 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 nice. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, I was asking myself, why did it take so long? You know, I, and does anybody know, does Superman have a star or is Batman the first of the DC to get a star? That's a good question. I know there because are the characters. I think Mickey Mouse has got one, but Mickey, yeah, yeah. So, I, but you know, I think maybe if he doesn't, I think that, that Seth, you hit on some good points as to why that is, because Batman is more grounded and and I think over the years I think Batman has had more popularity and more staying power than even Superman had so I do think I think it's about time and I don't I, I don't know how that whole thing works like did they just they announce that he's gonna get one is it up yet you know because I'd be curious to see who would go to that ceremony It'd be fun to see if, like, Michael Keaton and, you know, people that have played him, you know, Batman in the past oh, yeah. would show up. Yeah. It's too bad that Adam West can't be there. But, you know, uh, I, yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. but that would be, you know, it's, it's well-deserved and, and definitely do. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see who presents it. In fact, uh, Brad and Kelly, you just brought up something kind of fun for me. I almost want to have every actor who's ever played Batman show up and each one of them, as they give a speech, say, Hi, my name is, you know, <laughs> my name's Val Kilmer and I'm Batman. You know, and then for the next actor to get up and be like, hi, you might know me as playing Batman. I have a few things, you know what I mean? Because yeah. in many ways it could be like that. I'm Spartacus. Like we're all Batman. Um, that you, would be a really you, cool idea. Did any of you guys see that clip? I think it was on Seth Meyers. Michael Keaton was on and, and uh, Seth Meyers said, so... So you played Batman. Michael Keaton says, I am Batman. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, I would love to have each one of them get up there and do their signature. Just like, I'm Batman. You know, and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, and Kevin Conroy, he'd be fantastic for that. <laughs> the man. See? So moving forward from our, you know, our favorite Dark Knight on the Walk of Fame um, another DC staple is getting kind of her own thing. Um, Wonder Woman has a Twitter account, which is fascinating. I'm not sure, I'm dying to see if it's more someone tweeting in character as Wonder Woman or just Wonder Woman news, but, um, that was just, <laughs> so what, what do you guys think? What would you rather say? See, I'm a little confused, so... All these hundreds of pictures and stuff that we've been seeing from the set of Wonder Woman 84, has that just been um, the, the director and, and gal doing that? So now it's finally actually going to be a Wonder Woman account. Um, great, about time, because there's been Batman accounts or whatever else for years and years and years. So um, this film's been largely forgotten about with all the furore around Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson and the Joker and whatever else. And I am really excited for this because I love the first Wonder Woman movie. So um, I've got a very active role on the old Twitter. 
So um, yes, I'm going to be following that as soon as we finish this call um, before I fall asleep. Um, I will definitely be getting on the Twitter and uh, having a look at the Wonder Woman account because, yes, 84. It was a good year. I remember it well. <laughs> so, yes. I, as soon as I saw this story, immediately clicked on to the Twitter link, and I am now a follower of Wonder Woman. Um, I think it's pretty awesome little page. The first one shows a picture of just a really gorgeous sketch of Wonder Woman. The next has that Wonder Woman 84 poster that we were talking about last time around, um, the sort of psychedelic one. And then she's got a Women's World Cup one, which I thought was just so cool because I'm addicted to the World Cup. If you ask anyone uh, around me and my wife especially, it's been one of the more um, adorable things I've been doing recently, which is getting up at ungodly hours and watching Women's World Cup. Um, and then the next, the, the most recent post is a uh, gauntlet tiara and a big hat. Wonder Woman's ready for the beach because it's first day of summer, summer solstice. Um, I think it's adorable and I think it's great because uh, I feel like it's about time. And also, why not have an official one? Why not keep up that great energy that the movie started? And why not follow a great inspirational character like Wonder Woman? I mean, yeah, that's that's really go ahead and give me a wrong. I dare you. Go ahead. Brad, what do you got? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I also kind of thought the same, like, why, you know, why did it take so long? And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of just hoping that this means this is the start of a big kind of marketing push for uh, Wonder Woman 84. Uh, so hopefully a uh, trailer will be coming at some point in the not too distant future. Uh, and I, the, the one tweet that I thought was kind of funny was, has anyone seen the jet? <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. That's awesome. <laughs> the John Cena jet that you can't see. Yeah. So I will, I, I have not yet, but I will definitely follow, uh, follow that account for sure. And, and all right, so I guess we're all we're all gonna follow Wonder Woman now. Um, and by, by this time next week, we will know all of the yeah, every time she loses the jet, apparently. <laughs> Where did you so, see it last? Well, actually, I never have. How does she start it? How yep. does it? <laughs> I have so many questions, and I really hope that if nothing, that Twitter account answers them. <laughs> She Can I surround the bags Meredith? of flour? <laughs> but that's the point. Like, what is oh, that is an interesting, interesting weapon. That is, I could, Shh. I could probably do a whole episode <laughs> just trying to figure that out. I, I just, I just want to see. Isn't it weird that thing? <laughs> to look up? I've just always wondered. Isn't it actually weirder to look up in the sky and see a woman sitting there? in midair floating around than actually just seeing a plane. What's weirder to you? What gets your attention uh, more? Seated woman or plane? A flying I woman see sitting the, uh, down. I would, yes, a, fl- a woman that's flying sitting down, I think would... Uh, that, would, that, would that would make me sit up and, and notice. Um, I also just want to see the parody movie poster at some point. Dude, where's my plane? Um, and then I'm done. <laughs> Love it. Please, someone yep, create. Someone create. Go, go. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be a meme person out there, wherever you are. Come on, get to cracking. If you're listening to us, help. 
So our last bit of news. For the sound bite, I think. That now we've got three. Uh, dude wrecks my plane. <laughs> my planes, uh, and oh god, I've already forgotten Brad's one. How can I forget Brad's one? What was Brad's one? Can he get him a pair of nice jeans? Get him a pair of nice jeans to wear in his invisible place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they can go see the not dead Wayne's. Fantastic. <laughs> got a lot of good timelines going here. <laughs> We're good. So our last bit of news is about um, the Batman the Damn series is getting their own Funko Pop figure, um, they which are wildly popular and probably all over every comic book store any of us have been to in the past couple of years. Um, so let's weigh in on that. Who is excited about it? Who is kind of indifferent? Um, who only remembers the Batman genitalia part of Batman the Damned and not any other news about it? <laughs> the Batawang. <laughs> there was a story? Wait, there was a story? <laughs> Literally. That was the only thing I ever heard about that book, and I, I'm not disparaging it. It might be great, but I remember so that. that. I was... read it, and I didn't even notice. And it's only after I read it and thought, hey, that was a really great story. Then I heard, oh, yeah, but did you see Batman's... Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> really? And that's what you're focusing on? See, I should go read it. I just I remember going onto Twitter and seeing like absolutely it was like like the world was burning. It's crazy. Saw that. <laughs> Bonkers. Why? Oh dear lord. Listen. Oh, I don't know. Well, I don't. Their work to get rid of it. I I assume. So if anyone still has that issue of the original printing of Batman the Damn Number One, you might have some money on your hands. Yeah, oh yes. You have it. Oh, yes. It's it's worth a, a lot of money for all the wrong reasons. But there you go. <laughs> but um, on the topic at hand, um, while I'm always happy that there's new Batman stuff, I'm going to really um, shock you people now and say that I don't get Funko Pops. Um, people love them. People go crazy about them. I don't quite understand it. They take up a lot of room. They're not cheap. I mean, it's not like these beautiful um, sideshow pieces, which are hugely detailed, look real statues of, of awesomeness. They're just like big bobblehead characters. Um, so great if you collect them, I guess. But um, I can't get excited about something that I'm really not interested in, even if it is Batman. <laughs> so I'm going to have to pass the mic to uh, dear Mr. Singleton and say, um, do you like Funko Pops? <laughs> but but they're so cute. But but they're just so cute. Aren't we all? Oh well well yes, we're adorable. And I guarantee <laughs> that when our Funko pops come out, we're gonna be collectors items simply because again, adorable. I mean cute. Um they're cute. That's really what it all boils down to with Funko is one, it's cute, and two, I really feel like the other thing left is that it's uh you know, in some way, it, it's a connection that feels specifically generational, and yet it does more than, oh, I feel like there were these really popular toys from, like, the 90s that were a big deal, and they were stuffed, and everybody was collecting them, and now I never hear about them anymore. And they weren't tied to any sort of franchise. They were just these cute little stuffed animal things. Um it feels like with these, you know, Funko Pops, the whole big thing is, 
hey, here's a cute sort of version of something that's either sexy, scary, tough, or whatever. And Batman Dam um, looks pretty tough until he's in that cute little Funko box. And now he just looks really cute and tough. Just like really cute and tough. And uh, (laughs) maybe that's enough. Maybe cute and tough is like that perfect combination. Um, because you know, when you're that little, it's, 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 it's hard to be that tough, especially, I mean, look at him. He's got the little cowl and the little ears and a cute little cape. <laughs> I mean, you know, don't you want to just pick him up and carry him around? And whenever you need to like have a line, you just open your coat and he's like, I'm Batman. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm kind of, you know, I'm sold. He's cute. Okay. I'm sold. Brad, Brad, help me out. Can we, can we justify I, this for Steve in any way? You know, I, <laughs> I don't collect them either. Uh, I, I appreciate them. I, I like the fact it's kind of fun to see, you know, which properties get made and, you know, all the different avenues are branching off into. But I'm never compelled to pick any up. Um, yep. But I've always imagined in my head that somewhere out there in the world, there exists somebody whose sole mission in life is to collect every single version of every single pop that comes out. No matter how exclusive it is, they got to find it. And they have a huge basement just full of Funko Pops still in their boxes. But it just, it doesn't, yeah, I, I, I'm i with Steve on this. It didn't, like, uh, excite me to the point where I got to go pick one up. I can yeah. appreciate it and think, oh, yeah, that's cool. I'm but, glad I'm not alone. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jesus, well, Seth, it sounds like you're the only one who appreciates cute. <laughs> You know, it's it's just one of those things uh, I, I'm going to have to live with and I'm going to be OK with. You know what? There's a cute side to me. Not everybody's, you know, on the same degree of cute that I am. And while I will admit that there is not a collection or a stack of these, I think I have like three and they were all part of like gift boxes and such. What I, I can't deny is every time there's a new one, I go, aw, that's cute. Aw. <laughs> it's like the little right, puppy. I can respect that. The majority <laughs> of the world will actually agree with you, Seth, because the, 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 the it's gone crazy. My comic yeah. book store is almost 50% Funko Pops now, <laughs> as well as comics. And I know people, and like you said, Brad, that a basement full of every Funko Pop that existed. I know a guy who's got a room full, and I'm talking floor to ceiling just of dc ones yeah wow so it's like crazy and that's that's why i think hang on because for what they are they're not cheap and a room full floor to ceiling (laughs) um especially i mean at least comics you can yeah, exactly. Comic books, you can pick them up and reread them and catch something new in the art, in the writing, whatever else. But a Funko Pop, it's just something cute. And that's... Yeah. I need more there room for books that I can read and interact <laughs> with. I don't need yes. little plastic things taking up space. That's how that's, that's, that's how my mind works. But people love them. And if the people love them, give the people what they want. That's what I yeah. say. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, there must you know, be a demand for it if they're going to make it. Yeah, yeah keep making them because clearly I like looking at them. I'm not buying them and I'm okay with that, but I like looking at them and I'm happy to say, Hey, that one's cute too. Oh, look at little green arrow. Oh, I mean, <laughs> really, you know, between that and like little Dr. Fate, it, it's almost <laughs> like, it's like the Muppet babies all over again, but it's, you know, DC superhero. It's, you have failed this city. <laughs> exactly. Oh God. 
Alrighty, so that is the that is it for the 30th episode of the DC Comics News Podcast. Um, I am Kelly Gaines. You can follow me on Twitter at Kel Gaines, that's G-A-I-N-E-S, right, W-R-I-T-E. Um, and guys, what are what are your social medias? Where can people find you? I'm slowly taking over the world like Starbucks and Dr. Evil. <laughs> and you can find me just by Google searching Steve J. Ray or following me on the Twitter at E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. You can read my news reviews and interviews all over DC Comics News and our sister night, our sister night, our sister site, which is uh, more Batman related, where I'm also editor-in-chief. And uh, Brad? Uh, You can find me uh, on Twitter, FlickyB1. Uh, F-I-L-I-C-K-Y-B-1 and I uh, can always find me writing news stories and the occasional review on DC Comics News and Seth where can I find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at the number one, the word more and singleton or if you like podcasting and my voice didn't hurt your ears in some way, you can also find me on your favorite podcast platforms uh, Storytelling with Seth and you can always find me back here, you know, doing uh, reviews and such for DC Comics News. Very nice. Alrighty, and you guys can find the DC Comics News podcast on all major podcast platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. Um, so head on over and like and review. Um, and also, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at DC Comics News. Um, so be sure to check out also our other podcast, The Spinner Rack, um, and it'll be right there with the DC Comics News podcast on all of those platforms. Um, and then, as always, we would like to remind you guys to read more comics. comics. <laughs> <laughs> all righty, everyone. Have a wonderful night. And it's going to be really fun to see the Waynes not dead.